Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date, Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. Big number, 99. Yeah, 99. Um, this was the 100th episode for two of the three series. Okay. That we're still doing. So it's week 99 for us, but uh, I guess they consider this the 100th episode for both TNG and Voyager. Both very special episodes. Uh, and that's because... Um, they're the pilot as a as two different parts it must be something like that i don't know we've got it as 99 weeks okay uh yeah well the order based on how they finished last week uh tng really ate it it ate a big fat turd within theory yeah tng had a real bad week uh so bad that matt forgot about it when i quizzed him on them (laughs) so look it was the worst score they ever had. We had talked about how it was the worst score they ever had. And then my brain was very kind and immediately ejected it. Just <laughs> didn't need it at all. Um, well, because in theory was the worst score TNG ever had, this week we're starting with Redemption Part 1. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Was that supposed to be uh, Klingon opera? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what we were listening to? (laughs) Might be more appropriate for the DS9 episode. It's the uh, it's true. <laughs> no, this one's all about Klingons. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, this is the song "You Can't Get to Heaven." Oh, okay. Uh, it has the exact same theme as another song that Baptists love to sing, which is uh, "I've Been Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb." Same tune. All right. Okay. All right. That's the closest I could get to redemption on this one, bud. That's fine. I'm okay with it. Uh, Enterprise is headed for the Klingon homeworld, where it is finally time for Gowron's coronation. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there was a pretty long delay, because that shit was so many weeks ago when he was decided as the next guy. Yeah, maybe they only do it at New Year's or something. I don't know. Yeah. Picard goes to Worf's quarters to tell him he thinks it's finally time to uh, get that honor back. Yeah, he really sort of uh, unleashes a fucking... He creates a monster in this one. When he's like, <laughs> hey, you should go back and get your honor. And Worf's like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm good. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think we're ready yet. And Picard's like, what are you going to do? Wait forever? What are you going to do? Wait, wait forever, you fucking bitch? Come on, go back and get your honor. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 
Uh, when I was your Chadich, you didn't tell me you were a little bitch, <laughs> little baby bitch. And then later on, he's like, I don't understand why you're so insistent about going back and, and doing this Klingon business. You're, you're a Starfleet officer. And it's uh, very confusing. Anyway. Yeah, it's kind of a trap. It's a trap so that Worf, uh, so Picard can be disappointed with him. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bortos slams in unexpectedly. Uh an unexpected escort for Enterprise. Galron's there, and he tells Picard they're going to have to move quickly to prevent a Klingon civil war. Mm. It is the Duras boys again, of course, yeah. in the person of his sisters, Lursa and Bator. They count. They're the Duras boys. And they are massing support, and they have the loyalty of at least three fleet commanders. <laughs> we don't know how many fleet commanders there are, but Galron nope. seems to think that's a lot. It sounds bad. His eyes get real big when he says it. Uh, Garon wants Picard's personal backing, um, but Picard tells him he will act only in accordance with Klingon law and his role as Arbiter of Succession. Mm -hmm. But he also has Data start monitoring the neutral zone, just in case it's shenanigans. Yeah, Picard really walks a line in this one. In the transporter room, Worf breaks the whole sins of the father shit down to Gowron. Tells him all about how it was really Duras's daddy, how the uh, he made this deal because Duras's family was too powerful, and Gowron did not need this news at this moment. <laughs> Gowron, I guess, has not been privy to the um, the confidential briefings as the incoming no. uh, chancellor, because he did not know any of this. No, he... He's honestly, he's pretty busted up. He like, he, he cranes over like he's got a big stomach cramp and he goes and <laughs> leans against the transporter thing. And yeah. he's like, the council knew. Yeah. When he finds out the whole council was in on this shit, he's like, he's, I think he thinks at that point, oh, I am fucked. Yeah. Yeah. I am totally uh, fucked. He is so fucked that he tells Worf, look, man, I can't help you with your little personal honor thing you agreed to this deal but if the half the council still backs duras uh this ain't the time i can't be playing this card now mm-hmm. garon i love uh, that even this early on is definitely a politician first yeah he's kind of he's kind of barely in the first episode we see him reunion mm-hmm. um yeah he says uh, battle is won <laughs> and then he threatens yeah. he threatens what's her name yeah, he goes and, and threatens uh, Kalar, but he's not the one who kills her. Anyway, mm-hmm. th- but yeah, in this one, we definitely get the feeling that he is playing politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got a real, he's got such a weak hand. Uh, yeah. Uh, Worf goes to blow off steam on the phaser range. You may remember it from uh, whatever the name of that episode was where Riker goes aboard the Klingon ship. Uh, What's the name of that one? Uh, the name of the episode was... um. Doesn't matter. Uh, well, hold on. It's um, Clag's daddy. It's Clag's daddy, sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, while he's in there, Guinan comes in with a phaser. And uh, she's real good at phaser. <laughs> so she beats him very bad at phaser. And also, she does a lot of needling about how he doesn't laugh. And she really lays the groundwork for this to be an episode about what it means to actually be Klingon as opposed to have read Klingon Wikipedia. Yeah. I it's mean, like she, it was a, this should have been the teaser for a different episode. <laughs> she totally, she basically destroys Worf's whole 
whole sense of self in this in this scene. She tears him down. She tells him, "What are you going to do about Alexander if he ever wants to be Klingon? What's the whole thing?" Yeah. Cut to Picard's ready room, and Worf is requesting a leave of absence. Because he has decided he's going to get involved with this civil war. Mm -hmm. He rolls up on Kern's ship. Kern's a captain now. Yeah, Kern, the hidden dude with no bloodlines or whatever. But I guess he's doing good enough for himself. That he is not only a captain, but we find out in this scene he's got some influence. Yeah, he immediately tells Worf he has the support of four squadron commanders. I don't know if that's not as good as fleet. I don't know if that's different from fleet command. Exactly. (laughs) It's not as good as fleet, it sounds like, but it's like, you know, it's pretty good, considering. He's in one bird of prey. We never see any other ships, but I guess he has the support of these four squadron commanders. Yeah, they'll Um, show up someday. It's not going to come up later in my description, but at some point when Worf reveals to Gowron that his brother is Kern, Gowron fucking knows who Kern is. Yep. And he says, he has opposed me in the past. No and it's shit. like, Kern's doing great. Kern's fucking crushing it. I kind of wonder, alternate fucking timeline here, Worf never reveals Kern's bloodlines. And all the times that Worf's house goes back and forth on the shit list, off the shit list, just doesn't that affect That just Kern never happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, Kern, yeah. Kern's like Martok. <laughs> Come DS9. He's like the general (laughs) of everything. (laughs) Yeah, Kern's been doing real good. Well, uh, Kern thinks Gowron is going to get blown out of the sky before he even gets to his ceremony. And he says, fuck, if it comes to it, he'll kill Gowron because he thinks Gowron's too weak to defeat the Duras family. So, like, ideologically, he's on the same side as Gowron, but he doesn't think much of this little (laughs) big-eyed guy. He seriously is like, I mean, we both have the exact same goals, but he sucks and I can do it instead. I'll do it. I'll be the one. Right. Um, So Kern's got his own little armada and Worf just orders him to throw it behind Gowron. Because Worf's the elder brother, and <laughs> Gowron's the legitimate legitimate ruler of the Empire. It's something that matters, he, even though he wears a Starfleet uniform and has only met Kern like one other time. <laughs> yep. Yeah, Kern's just got to fucking eat it. Yep. Um, Kern goes and puts his hand in a big pile of what I must assume is ceremonial sand. When Worf gives him this order, he just goes and puts his hand in some sand and then he heads off to the Mempa sector to try and convince these squadron leaders to back Gowron. Imagine what a wild conversation that's going to be the whole time he's been like, we're going to fuck Gowron's shit up. This Gowron guy sucks a dick. We're going to kill him, take his support, and then we're going to conquer the Duras family. And then he goes to him and he goes, all right, guys, hey, change of plans. My older brother yelled at me. I have an older brother, and he gave me a direct order to, um... Support Gowron. So, are you guys still in? Uh, we go to the council chambers. Picard gives a Klingon speech, uh, names Gowron the leader of the High Council, but a last-minute challenger appears... Toral, son of Duras, with Lursa and Bator behind him. Yeah, the worst boss fight ever. This little piece of shit comes out right at the last second. Yeah. It's real It's real dumb. Uh, now Picard has to rule on the validity of his challenge. And we go to uh, the green room where the Duras clan tells a Romulan that it's all up to Picard now. And then another Romulan 
probably a lot more visible than she's meant to be, <laughs> says that when the time is right, they will deal with the Federation. I can only imagine this is a 13-inch TV situation. I, I yeah, don't know what else is, they could be doing. because yes, They fucking clear. brightened this up in the transfer or something, because I don't think you're supposed to be able to see this lady's face yet. Yep. So that's why I have not said who it is. That's fine. Um, Kern tells Worf that three of the four squadron commanders will back them and one won't. Mm. And then Worf starts working data over to get all the hot Federation intel about Kittimer, because this is obviously part of the plan is he's going to expose the Duras uh, shit. Okay. And Picard tells him he can't use that data because of Federation neutrality. But then... He gives a little speech about how he's got a big conflict of interest, too. And at the end of it, he says, "Ah, you know what? Fuck it. I'll make those files available to anyone who wants them. Not that anyone but you would know to ask for them. Exactly. But I guess this is what I'm going to say in my report to Starfleet if anybody reads it and asks. I uh, I definitely made them available to everyone. No, there's no way anyone would know that. Uh, But (laughs) I totally did it. And I said I did it. So. Hey, I declassified them for everybody. So what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, Picard gets called down to the surface to have tea with the Dura sisters. They make a very vague attempt to win him over. Well, also just sort of telling him he's, they've kind of got him over a barrel mm-hmm. and, uh, but you know, at least, at least he doesn't have to be their enemy too. Like this is going to go bad for him either way, but there's, you know, he can get one little thing out of it, I guess. Yeah. Hey, I know we have so much time to talk about this episode, but why do you suppose he accepted that invitation? Is he required to? As the arbiter? It's wild. Like, I expected it to come up the next day where he'd be like, and of course they tried to bribe me. (laughs) But like, nah. Wow. I I was just confused why he even bothered to go down there. Doesn't he remember the last time he was on Kronos and someone tried to fucking knife him? Maybe he's fucking hyped. Maybe he hopes that happens again. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe he's down there. I hope a Klingon would. Maybe that, what's her name? That old Klingon lady's like standing in the shadows during that tea meeting. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. His shot each uh, is that lady. Isn't her name Caleste or something yes. like way too close to the eventual name of the emperor? Oh, it's what I assume is the female version of Kaless on, on Kronos. Yeah. Uh, at, at High Sun, which is a fun way of saying noon. Uh, Picard denies Toral's petition because he has fought no battles, won no honor. Makes sense. He can't grow a mustache yet. I mean, what's he going to say There's in his big speech reasons. before he says battle is won? Exactly. Fucking nothing. <laughs> um, and uh, Toral gives a real shitty speech and half of the members of the High Council... I mean, almost all of them, really. Go and stand behind uh, Toral. So, it is war. In a very 2021 thing, the bad guy who's obviously the bad guy who says nothing interesting says his very weak speech, and then everyone goes and stands behind him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Their yeah. minds were made up. Their minds were made up. Uh, on the Bortos, Worf finally thinks Gowron's in a weak enough position that he can make the offer of Kern's four squadrons. Uh, but that's not enough for Gowron. He needs Worf to get Picard and the Federation involved. Yeah. So he's not going to restore Worf's honor. But in the middle of this, the ship gets attacked. Uh, two birds of prey roll in. Enterprise just backs out of there. Mm-hmm. Even when Gowron sends out a distress call. 
even though Worf's aboard, Riker doesn't agree with Picard about it. Um, but luckily, Worf's pretty good at guns, so <laughs> once the attackers drop their shields to board the ship, he blows one of the ships up. And then Kern rolls in in the Hegta to drive away the other one. I guess he was just watching, just hanging out. I mean, they're at Kronos, uh, right? Yeah. Like, there should be plenty he of He was, ships. like, he was nearby. Worf definitely sent him a message when Gowron said to send distress calls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Gowron has Picard finish the ritual in a pretty much empty hall, formally restores Worf's family honor, and then on the Enterprise, formally requests Federation assistance. Worf really presses the case that the Federation should get involved. Picard declines. Tells Worf it's got time to come back to duty. Can't hang out here anymore. There's a civil war going on. Yeah. And when Worf requests an extended leave of absence and doesn't get it, he uh, throws his comm badge on the desk and takes the position of weapons officer on the Bortos. Yeah. Picard comes to his quarters to say goodbye, give him one more chance to reconsider, but also to tell him he's proud of him and... He has lined the corridor with a bunch of extras for a little parade of honor to the transporter room. Darian Wallace is there. Don't worry about it. I think I saw Patricia Tallman. I, I uh, fucking hope so. How many all extras the do they think staff, they have? Yeah, it's a good point. It's everybody. Yeah. Uh, all the senior staff's waiting in the transporter room to say goodbye, but then, but there, no one makes a speech. They no. Worf just leaves. It's good. He's like me. He doesn't like to be the center of attention. He wanted to get out of there as soon as he saw that crowd of people. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, Enterprise leaves the sector. We get one final scene with the Dura sisters and our mystery Romulans. And one of them is clearly Tasha Yar in a wig. What's up with that? End of season four. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that ending, it's sort of like they really want you to think Worf's gone or something. They give yeah. him the whole honor guard and everything. Were they, were they trying to make people think Worf was leaving? <clears throat> yes. It's, well, listen, they got a lot of. TV Guide mentions out of the end of season three when it looked like Riker was going to kill Picard. So, yeah, they're into that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matt, what's this one about? Uh, let's start with Ben. It's his pick of the week. He said, we all have to play the hand we're dealt and make the angles work for us. Maybe the politics are necessary, even when distasteful. Tough to crystallize this one. He thinks it would fit in well in DS9, except he says it has a happy ending, but he must have. What, did he skip ahead to the end of part two? <laughs> that's, a good, we, that's a good point. Things we, aren't going that great. Yeah, we ain't seen point. the happy ending yet. I mean, like, Worf didn't die, but he's also leaving the ship. Uh, he gave it a five, even though it didn't seem like he could come up with a take on it. Um, I had, hey man, you actually can't live in two worlds. You do have mm. to choose. You American or Chinese, bro? <laughs> That feels rough, and I really enjoyed this episode, but it's obviously about Worf's journey, and it seems like everybody's saying it's time for him to go back to China and avenge the people who dishonored his family and his temple or whatever. And it just seems like a good Star Trek take here would be that you can live in both worlds. Maybe that way people at home will feel better about their life situations, but... Yeah. Um, it was only a two for me on take. Okay, well, I see that. That's kicking around in there. Um, But I think the whole idea of this episode is that good people don't take the law into their own hands just because following 
the law might lead to an unfavorable outcome. Okay. This is like, everyone knows Picard should be back in Gowron here. Uh, yeah, we have been shown, we get to see all the angles, so we know that the Romulans and the right. Duras are, are the bad dudes. Uh, but, you know, they have reason to suspect it anyway. Also, this is a, clearly a bullshit claim. Yep. Uh, also, lots of stuff, right? Um, and then the... This is the same... You know, Picard tries to talk to Worf a lot about conflicts of interest and, and stuff like that. There is, like you said, a lot about Worf choosing which of the two worlds he's going to live in. Mm-hmm. But it it feels real personal. Um, this idea that... You have to do the the you know the right thing even if it hurts you is very Gene Roddenberry. Mm-hmm. It's it's very the, you know his Federation, and I assume we're going to see a lot of counterexamples of this in Deep Space Nine and Voyager. <laughs> yeah, when when war is hell and all that business. Um, but you know this is the Star Trek that I like, so I actually gave it a six. Yeah. So yeah. We're, we're way apart up here. I think TNG would probably argue that it is especially in these times that you have to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. That there that 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 would be the argument. Not only is it like it, you got to do the right thing no matter the circumstance, but like in these circumstances in particular, you have to do you have to make the right call. Yeah, I mean Picard would have a whole speech lined up. Yeah. About how <laughs> this is you know this is the true test of your beliefs or whatever. Right. Um, okay. Uh, how about execution then? Uh, Ben's a seven. He, um, he asks, couldn't Gowron just challenge Toral? It It is definitely feels like on Kronos anything goes and I can't believe he couldn't just go, well, then I'll knife his ass. Yep. Or like, that's the end of the. Uh, right of acquisition, right? Is the two challengers just fight to the death? So, yeah. it seems like Picard could have just said, alright, get it on. <laughs> like, was Toral gonna win? I don't think so. Yeah, he could have just been Mills Lane out there. Could have just brought them together, had them touch gloves, and that would have been it. Yeah. Um, he also asks, how did no one notice all these Romulans crawling all over the place? They are all over the Klingon capital and no one cares or notices. I can only guess it's because um, the Duros are so influential and powerful that it doesn't even matter if they're kind of hanging around. He's a seven on execution. This is a pretty solid episode, mm-hmm. but I there are some questions. Why does Picard want Worf to press his claim now? Mm-hmm. Is it just because they're going to Kronos? <laughs> yep. Is it just because they're in the neighborhood? Again, even Worf seems surprised. Does Toral have any legal claim to inherit his father's claim to the High Council? It seems like they had to, well, I don't know, at least in the long form of the ritual, mm-hmm. they have to name all the battles that they won and everything. And ultimately, that's what Picard says. He's like, he's just some dude. Like, yeah. why do I care about this? Uh, as usual... Why doesn't Picard check in with anybody at any time <laughs> yes. about this huge geopolitical crisis? Like, he doesn't... I, I mean, if he does it, he does it totally off camera. And in that, and never mentions it. Yeah, and in that meeting with Worf, he's just like, no, nah, we can't interfere. And it's like, this is kind of a big one. Why don't you... 
Why don't you send that one back yeah. home? Let them. He answer. doesn't say. I've had I've had eight subspace calls with admirals already today. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we're pretty clear on this one. I feel confident after the eight calls I had that we can we can move forward with a no on this. What are we as viewers supposed to make of this Denise Crosby Romulan who says humans have a way of popping up when you least expect them? I mean, that's <laughs> I for us, right? Yes. Yeah. I okay. Yeah. So. She ain't given us the story yet, so I think you are literally just supposed to go, hey, wait a minute, what? Yeah, like, what are we supposed to do with this? This is, uh, her hey, story yo, is so wild and impossible. <laughs> like, there's no way that anyone's like, I Put know it together. what happened. Yeah. Okay, so get this. <laughs> Remember yesterday's Enterprise? Of course yeah, so you guys was yesterday's Enterprise? Okay, well, that resulted in a double of Tasha Yar from another universe back in the prime universe in the past in a battle with Romulans. And And we think all of them died, but guess what? Looks like some of them maybe didn't die. They got taken back to Romulus, and then I assume she was raped or whatever, and now they got a Romulan baby, and she's all blonde like her mom because the seed is strong. (laughs) Um, yeah. But, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. Yep. Uh, still, Guinan gets a little speech, Picard gets a bunch of speeches, Gowron and Kern are back, there's mm. big politics. This is just most of what I want. Yes. Uh, it is a six for me in execution. You know how we always talk about how DS9 should just live, just just do Bajoran politics, and then um, what's going on with the Cardis, and that should be the show. And yep. this one should, it definitely feels like, should just hang around with Klingon and Romulan politics and what's going on with these motherfuckers. Yep. Um, I agreed it was a six for a minute. All it felt like it was like two competing scripts were going on. So the reason I didn't think it was like a well executed episode is because like you said, there's some stuff here where there's a real push for Worf to restore his family's honor. But then later on, Picard's like, nah, don't do anything. No more Klingon business, even though he was the one who made him do it. <laughs> and then there's, like, Worf trying to dig up all this Federation proof for his family's innocence, but then, like, they don't end up talking about it or using it, and he just gets his family's honor restored anyway. And then, like, yeah. it's to me, it felt like they had, like, two full episodes going and then just put in bits of each to try to get yeah, this Yeah, he thing. kind of, he gets his honor back not because... He's presented this evidence to Gowron and the High Council, mm-hmm. but because he saved Gowron's life. Because he, he saved his fucking ass like he kept saying he would do if he gave him his honor back. Yep. Um. So, yeah, there was just this feeling the whole time that there were they should have just maybe done another another pass on this script. Um. Uh, let's see. On the bright side, this episode has lots of Gowron, Tony Todd, Intrigue. Uh, it keeps some plot lines alive that have been going for the last year or so and leaves you in a really weird place heading into season five. And it's kind of a good cliffhanger season finale. So general execution was good. Um, like I said, a, a six. Uh, world building. Yeah. Yeah. What about world building? Ben was a four. He says, is this the first time we're seeing war from this white bathrobe? I don't believe so. I think... No, I think we've seen him do that before. I I took a screenshot of Riker doing some Klingon Tai Chi, and I think Worf was <laughs> in the robe in that one, in whatever episode that was. Which one was that? The one that opens oh, on man. on everyone doing the fucking Tai Chi. 
It's a good question, and I don't remember. <laughs> Can't remember. Um, uh, I was a little bit higher in world building. He gave it a four. Um, I have it as a six. So, let's see. You got the installation ceremony for Gowron. I don't know how this all works. I thought he already got picked months ago. I guess it's a multi-step process for Picard, too. He has to make the whole trip again. Uh, the Duras family moved on without uh, the main dude. They still seek control of the council. Two sisters run the show now. We're told women may not serve on the council, but I guess they can still, like, you know, get all that influence. Uh, yeah, that's a tricky one, but we'll talk about it later. Uh, yeah, Duras's kid hasn't won any honors and can't rule. You get the big civil war starting, theoretically. A ton of Romulan intervention, which is a season four hallmark. And, um, you know, there's the thing I talked about a little bit when we did Reunion, um, that I could talk about for five hours. Which is the alternate point of view about Gowron working with outsiders to rule the Empire. Mm. And it continues through this arc. Like, if you're a regular Klingon, <laughs> wouldn't it be, like, crazy easy to see Gowron as the traitor? Yeah. Like, if you think this about it. This is the it, very weak point that Toral makes when he gives his little speeches. You letting the Federation call the shots? Yeah. Just because Picard says Gowron is ruling the empire here that's cool that's cool with everybody yeah it goes back to kimpek's really 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 dumb move kimpek really fucked galron and the whole empire on this one he's like hey i know this human he seems pretty cool well you have to remember that kimpek knew for sure he was going to die of poison before <laughs> he had the chance to name galron the yes i don't know man like If Duras hadn't killed Kalar, this whole thing just comes down to a fight between Gowron and Duras anyway. It's like, why did Kim Peck need to get Picard involved? Yeah. So he gets, so he goes, I know. He, he wanted Picard to put his thumb on the scale, right? He wanted him to find out who poisoned him and uh -huh. made sure that guy didn't lead the Empire. That was literally the mission he gave the him. Wrong, first of all, he should have named O'Brien as the Arbiter of Succession <laughs> if he wanted someone to fix things for him. <laughs> That's right. He didn't know though. He wasn't aware. He wasn't that in on the on the uh, on the USS Enterprise crew and what their roles were. He should have known. Oh, he, well, first of all, it's never explained why he picks Picard at all. I guess no. he was so impressed about the uh, Chaudhuri. Yeah. So okay. So he says that he can't trust anyone in the council, and he can't trust anyone at home. And the Duras family is too powerful. But I mean. I know this really cool human, his name's Picard, he's going to be able to take care of this for me. And he gives Picard the explicit mission to figure out who the fuck's poisoning him and make sure that guy can't rule. And what really comes to pass, and this is where I'm saying, if you're just some Klingon dude, there are three important powers in this quadrant we're sort of supposed to believe. They pick someone from one of those other two powers to come in and make the decision about who's going to rule the Empire. Yep. That dude's lieutenant kills one of the people in the contest, and they name the other one the winner. Yeah. And then they just come home and they go, well, we got, we got, uh, we got a new leader. Uh, it was a totally fair contest. Everything's totally cool. <laughs> then that guy 
is asking for Federation assistance, you know, the people who put him in charge in the first place. And so, like, even though we are shown the points of view of all the characters and we know that the Romulans are the bad guys and that Duras are the bad guys, how easy would it be for them to be like, nah, though, this Gowron guy is a puppet of the Federation. He was, they fucking straight up killed the other competitor for the, uh, for the chancellorship. And now we just got to eat it, I guess. So <laughs> it's so wild what Kim Peck did. It still affects everything going on in this whole, this whole arc. Um, He's a real Yoda. Yes, he shows no foresight. I think the Sith Lord was too close and his powers weren't working very good. Um. Anyway, so that's all going on. Uh, Federation policy is kind of what you'd expect from Gene Roddenberry and TNG here, which is to, again, <laughs> slowly uh, reverse out of this fight and then refuse to help either side. So uh, I thought it was a six. I thought there's a lot going on here. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, so all that stuff is in there. It is kind of a continuation of Sins of the Father and Reunion, Mm -hmm. and even a little bit the Mind's Eye, although that's really just more to introduce this mystery Romulan lady. (laughs) Um, so some of this is not new, so it gets, like, continuity stuff as opposed to new information about the world, so... It's all the same stuff you mentioned, but uh, I'm only giving it a four. Okay. Um, characterization. Uh, Ben's a seven. Um, he says that old Crazy Eyes does a great job of being much smaller than the other actors, but still being menacing. Uh, Guinan's the best. Picard walks a fine line. Yeah. He forgot that Kern's bloodline was still hidden. Uh, he's a seven. Okay. Um, he he takes some shots at Lursa and Bator's looks for no reason. <laughs> I am less of a seven, so uh, less than a seven here. Uh, we've got Picard as the arbiter. Picard ordering the Enterprise away, even the wharfs on the Bortos. Picard with the Duras sisters. All of that's very good. Picard as Worf's Chadich and friend, I think, is less successful. Hmm. Like, you definitely understand when Worf says, do not hamper me now. Yeah. Um, Worf deciding that he is Klingon at heart and has to fight in the war, it sh- should be a big moment in his Two Worlds arc. Mm-hmm. But it's undercut a little bit by all the politics about when he's going to offer this aid to Gowron, the sort of calculating attempt to restore his family name, like... It makes it much less about who are you, what does it mean to be Klingon, and much more about what can you get. Sure. Yeah. But so I don't like that as much. He is shown as very calculating. Gowron's shown as very calculating. The only people who like, and obviously the Duras sisters, the only person who does not come across as calculating in the whole episode is Picard, who yeah. is very frazzled by all the shit he has to do, and then makes the decision that you would absolutely expect him to make at the end. Yeah. Uh, Garon is a shrewd politician playing a very weak hand. So weak that if Worf isn't personally present, he dies in space. (laughs) And that makes him come off as a poor leader. Sure. And I don't think anyone really gets into this like, hey, you were unprepared and you probably should be dead right now. 
Like, it just doesn't come up at all that they're helping a guy who maybe is not going to have a firm hand in the Klingon Empire. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's a real Ross Perot or something. He's just some crazy guy who came out of nowhere. And even when he's running, people are like, no, nobody know anything about that guy. He's some kind of weirdo, I think. And then when he gets to be in charge and obviously has no support, uh, I don't think anyone is surprised that he is not some kind of outstanding ruler because they don't know shit about this dude. Yeah. Uh, And guidance around to let people know what they're feeling. No, this is a no one else gets a hand in. This is the Picard Wharf Galron show. Yeah. I mean, Kern's barely in it. And aside from that acting decision to put his hand in a big pile of sand, he keeps <laughs> in his quarters. Uh, Look, he's not not doing a lot. Every time anyone has ever told me what to do, I've gone straight to my sand pit, for sure. Uh, so I uh, I'm a little a little less rosy on it than uh, than Ben was. It's going to be a five for characterization for me. Uh, I would like Worf's motives to be more pure, maybe, or if it's going to be about which which of these two worlds do you live in, then let's make it about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, Picard creates a monster with Worf. Um, he also says patience is a human virtue, which sounds racist. Pretty sure <laughs> other kinds of people can have patience. It's just, just a guess. Uh, then he becomes suddenly very uncomfortable about Worf using Starfleet resources. Um, I love Picard letting the Dura sisters know that he knows about their Romulan shit going on with that remark as he's leaving. Oh yeah, <laughs> just right to their face, talking about how they uh, are be- behaving with the skill of a Romulan or whatever. Um, Picard has some trouble differentiating between like what's interference on behalf of Starfleet and what are his duties as arbiter. It's nice that he's at least thinking about it since he never calls Starfleet once. <laughs> it's true. Archer wouldn't even have thought about it. Archer wouldn't have called home. Andy wouldn't have thought about it. Yeah, um, Archer would have been focused uh, Janeway style on putting things right that once went wrong because he thinks he's still doing Quantum Leap. That's right. That's right. He can't. He can't fucking go home until he fixes. I don't know. I guess everything. I don't remember what the plot of Quantum Leap was. Yeah. Did he have to fix every problem that ever existed before he can go home? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I mostly remember the one where he became a monkey. Yeah. So. <laughs> he became a chimp for sure. I remember one where he became a pregnant lady. I don't really know what mm. the plot was of that. Yeah, that did happen. Uh, Gowron is so all in on Picard. Just assumes that they are partners for life now. Uh Uh-huh. Picard shows up with the Enterprise and he beams over and he goes, All right, hey man, we gotta get going right now if we're gonna beat these Duras motherfuckers. Like, let's fucking get to it. And Picard's like, what are you... What are you talking about? You're the crazy guy I met once and then I hoped I would never have to meet again. And then I was told (laughs) two weeks ago that I have to come back here. Um... But Gowron does know how to bargain. Worf thinks he has Gowron over a barrel and brings that proposition to him. And instead, Gowron is like, uh, no thanks. I'll do it for that good Federation assistance, though. Yeah. Don't need your four squadrons. Um, uh, he eventually gives uh, Worf's family their honor back after they do save his ass. Uh, Worf is goaded by Picard into trying to win back his honor. And then is it any surprise that he goes too far? Um, <laughs> when Guinan comes in to do phaser stuff with him, he tries to big dog her. And then he eats shit for like six straight minutes. 
Yeah. He's like, I pr- I practice at level 14. And then the rest <laughs> of that scene is him getting his ass kicked in every way. Uh, well, I think when Guinan asks him about Alexander, Worf has genuinely forgotten he has a son. It does seem like it. He kind of thinks about it for a second and he goes, oh, fucking Alexander, that guy. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I think he's good. I don't know. I assume. Yeah, he's like uh, seven or eight now. Don't ask about it. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm sure he's a giant by now. Uh, Worf's very strategic in this episode. He's all that shit where he'll withhold support until Gowron's deep in trouble. Um, Kern is ready to be the third party candidate that we've all been waiting for. But I can't figure <laughs> out how. The dude has no family. He's just going to split support for Gowron. Yeah, I think that's true. I think he's only going to steal he votes. He does have a family. It's just sort of implied to be not as good a family as the House of Moog. Yeah, but he's not like the head of the house, is he? Uh, we don't know. I mean, I assume he's like in someone else's fucking little fiefdom. Has his bloodline oh, been he, he's, But he, uh, we don't know that he's not the heir. We oh. don't know that Moog's father, that Moog's buddy didn't ha- had some other kids. Oh, um, I want, yeah, I wonder if he made a different decision than like Liu Bei did. You know, because he had that adopted son. Yeah. That he wouldn't make the air, and then he betrayed Guan Yu. Um, let's see. Was Duras gay? Is that what everyone's dancing around? Was Duras gay? They for sure believe that it's not possible that he had a son 15 years ago on the side. <laughs> like, they're like, everyone's like, nah, though. <laughs> he had no mate, and I really mean, like, I mean it. He had no mate. Do do or awesome then they all do a limp wrist. <laughs> That's right. It was the nineties. You could still get away with stuff like that on TV. They all did it, and I was like, huh, okay. Well I didn't I wasn't in that space before, but now I know what they were really assuming about Duras. Um overall it's pretty good stuff. Um I'll give it a I give it a five. Well, all right. What about quick hitters? Uh, I guess the pull-out quote here is, lies must be challenged. It's what, it's what Picard says to get He does say going. that right at the beginning. Yeah. Um, how come Picard doesn't ask Worf not to kill any high-level Klingons while on his leave of absence? <laughs> I feel like that he would really be should. a totally fair reminder. You're not going to claim any rights of vengeance or... Like, I'm giving you a leave of absence for, like, a legal are you, thing. Are you taking your bat <laughs> Like, I know all? it's Kronos. You probably can't walk into a room without seeing a bat you can grab off the wall or whatever, but still. <sighs> you're just gonna... Okay, you're just gonna bring the little knife where the little side blades pop out? The doc okay, tang. You called it a doc tang? The doc tang one time you said, uh... Okay, but... All right, do you really got to take... Okay, I hate that thing. All right, whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, surprisingly, I put all my effort into the other categories. I don't have a lot of quick hitters on this one. Uh, but Ben <laughs> said um, the high definition shows the chipping on a, the Batlet's edge. It's like He says the prop guys had been fucking around with it. I don't know if he read that or what. Um, and he's... Just that this is a good Worf arc, and it shows off the Roddenberry Federation ideals. Uh, I got a few. Uh, Stardate 44995.whatever. 
Does that mean, Matthew, that it's in between Christmas and New Year's? Yeah, dude, it is right at the end of the year. Do all of these season-ending cliffhangers happen in late December? I think they do, and if it were Babylon 5, they would tell you. man, a year ago, Christmas was ruined by the Borg, and now this year, (laughs) Christmas sucks. all this Klingon shit? Christmas blows, especially if you're on the Enterprise. It's not great. Yeah, dude, if they had any guts, like Babylon 5, they would talk about it. There's like in yeah, Babylon 5, they're always like, hey, I got you a Christmas present. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't even realize. Where's the time gone? She's like, yeah, it's going to be a new year soon. And then the credits like, change. And he's like, the year is 2261. <laughs> like someone goes to the trouble of assigning star dates to all of these episodes mm-hmm. so that a whole season takes covers roughly a year of star dates. Right. And then, but then it's like, they're never like, all right, well, it's Easter. I mean, there was a Diwali episode. They mentioned Diwali. Yeah. In this season. But like, uh, so I don't know. We know roughly what part of the year it's going to be. Yeah. Um, I wish Picard had explained what had changed in the Klingon Empire that made him think Worf was safe to pursue his challenge. Seriously? At the beginning. Because he hasn't it had really the whole... all you're left with is, well, we're headed there. Yeah, because he hasn't had the whole Gowron talk yet. That happens immediately after. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, I guess it's cool now. Um, I know we've seen the phaser range before, so I don't know. Maybe maybe we've talked about this already. But I like that they designed this thing so that you need absolutely no explanation of how it works. Mm-hmm. They stand in colored areas. They shoot their color. They can have a little conversation about Klingons laughing or Starfleet exchange programs in this little black box theater while they do this bit of business. And it's just like, it takes absolutely no explanation. Yep. Yeah, for sure. It's, um, I guess that puts it somewhere between whatever that racquetball game, spring ball between spring ball. (laughs) Yes. And, um, the game that seven and, uh, and Janeway play, which is velocity velocity there you go so i guess it's better than both of those yeah um i think we covered this but kern must be awful sick of Worf showing up and giving orders again he's met him like twice he must hate his guts yeah and like then we now, know in by ds9 he's just totally forgot that he even had a brother until he shows up all fucked up <sighs> yeah um we must act honorably, Worf says. You know, wait until the noose is around Gowron's neck and he has no choice but to give us what we want. <laughs> yeah, he really... That was a little bit more nuanced than that first statement made it seem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, women aren't allowed in the council, except in Star Trek Six. I guess things have gotten worse for women in the last 80 years in the Klingon Empire. Fucking what a surprise. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean... I guess things were pretty progressive. I mean... Uh, Gorkin seemed like a cool dude, yeah. and then Azitbur because becomes chancellor after him, and it's like, all right, well, things I mean, are getting worse in this country too. So I don't know if we want it to be hereditary either, though. Like, why did she get to be in charge? Just because she was, just because she was the daughter. It's not great either, I guess. But yeah, at least women were allowed to be around. Does Picard have the authority to unilaterally declassify Starfleet records? <laughs> In this episode, he has the unilateral authority to do everything. Yeah. yeah. I wish this show had built a couple more models. 
so we wouldn't have to see the Star Trek 3 slash 4 slash 6 Bird of Prey every time. Yeah. It's wild that this thing can mess up Gowron's ship so badly. That these 80-year-old little tiny ships. Yeah, I don't know if they're like super modular like they were designed for long service life so you could like replace components and keep it modernized or like plus there's the whole thing about the the size disparity between yes certain birds yeah and this one they appear to be huge yeah they're Uh, they're giant ass cavort class cruisers in this one and not little burrells or whatever but it's but it's like they they look identical and that doesn't make any sense (laughs) the bridge don't scale that way (laughs) like little bridge pods the same scale it's like the bridge is just like 15 times as big yeah yeah matthew how much do you think you have to hold that knife to get your honor back like if it doesn't come away bloody enough does gauron shout again (laughs) You didn't. No, hey, um, hey, bro, hey, buddy, put your hand back on the blade, though, because it's. Hey, we're doing a thing. You're supposed to cut your hand. It's. Uh, I didn't. I don't see any blood. Can I see your hand? No, nah, there's just like a little crease. We didn't really. I thought I, I, I tested it earlier. It was sharp. Uh, why don't you give it another? That's squeeze? a sharp knife. You gotta. You just gotta just just grab onto that thing. I know you're not from here. You're not really. You're not from these parts. You don't know this. You gotta squeeze it pretty good, though. Oh, it could be the opposite too. Like maybe Worf grabbed it way too much. <laughs> Maybe it's, you're not actually supposed to do damage that has to be repaired to your hand. <laughs> if racist dwarf saw him pull out the knife, he's like, ah, yes, I have to draw blood. Yeah. And just fucking ripped his hand up on it. And Garon's like, what the fuck's up with this guy? He's like, actually, you're supposed to take the knife from me. <laughs> I'm giving you a knife. Do you under, the knife is symbolic, right? You understand that. But I'm giving you the knife is equivalent. Okay. All the dudes in the cool. room go, this knife is ruined. Everyone in the room's like, this dude's fucking hardcore. The Federation's hardcore. In the Federation, they matter. just cut their hands on shit. There's fucking no one in the room but Kern and that <laughs> one guy who looks too much like Kampok. <laughs> yeah, the old guy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. After the 2B continued, does Sila tell the Dura sisters, like, like me? I'm turning up unexpectedly. I was talking about uh, myself. Everyone's going to think I'm the version of my dead mom from this universe. And then, or does she not say any of that? And after she leaves, after making her little proclamation, do they say, Romulans are really drama queens, huh? <laughs> it's like, did, you see did, you, she, did you hear all that about humans have a way of popping up when you least expect them? Did you see, did what the hell was that? She stepped right out of the shadow when she said it, like she thought that there was something super dramatic was happening. And we were like, hey, we can see you over there. You're just in another part of the room. Like, we can see you. Hey, we know who you are. You can, know that, right? I can, Did she think she was cloaked? Does she not understand cloak? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't mention this, but you notice that Toral is not a part of any of these discussions. No. <laughs> the Romulans. He's a little bitch, and they hate him, and they slap him around. He's playing Smash Brothers over in the corner or whatever. <laughs> um, I gave best actor to Picard. Worst actor, it's a, it's a twofer. Take your pick. We've got Taral and we've got Bator. Either one. <laughs> Lursa obviously has the acting chops of the two. You didn't Does like the, the best way job she of delivered... talking with those prosthetic teeth. You don't like how she delivered uh, when you can be our friend. <laughs> like a fucking creeper. <laughs> Um. Yeah. All right. Well, that's one. That's that's TNG. 
in uh, second place last week was Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places. <laughs> Bashir is creeping outside of the O'Brien residence when Quark comes to um, double their trouble, I guess. (laughs) They're having a big argument, and as Quark starts to describe the fight, because he can hear it with his good ears, Keiko walks up, and we get the reveal it was actually O'Brien and Kira arguing. Good stuff. I'll come back to this plot later, because who cares for now. Uh, Worf and Dax are enjoying a beverage together when, uh, Grilka comes on board. You remember her? That's Quark's old lady in the episode with the spreadsheets. <laughs> um, Worf is entranced and just bails on Dax, like mid-sentence, to make poetry in his head for later for this lady. Yeah. And he fucking follows her like a creep. A lot of that already in this one. We haven't even hit the credits. <clears throat> And uh, sees her hug Quark. And Dax tells Worf that her name is Grilka and she's Quark's ex-wife. And Worf makes a scrunchy turtle face and we go to credits. Quark and Grilka catch up and she reveals that her family has really suffered in this fucking space war with the Federation. <laughs> the one, what can I do? The one that lasted an episode off screen that was, I guess, fucking devastating. Yeah. Specifically for the Klingons, it seems. Like, they didn't do so good in this one. Uh, She needs help with the books, though. She's back for some financial tips or something. Um, Dax finishes explaining everything to Worf about Grilka and Quark, uh, but it kind of feels like it's for us. Yes. (laughs) In case we didn't remember that one. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Worf is satisfied that it was a BS marriage before, and he's going to make a play for this lady. Uh, Dax throws his business all around Ops, but I guess he <laughs> wasn't hiding it that well on the promenade, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Worf goes to the bar and beats the crap out of Morn and uh, picks a fight with one of Grilka's bodyguards, I guess, because he thinks it looks cool. The old guy with Grilka pulls him aside and goes, come on, man. You know you ain't got no honor. She she can't bang you. It's not... You don't got no honor. You get it. You get it, man. Hey, I said your name is a curse. (laughs) Did you hear me when I said that? That's what I opened with because I figured you'd get sad and leave. Think about it, man. You just... You you get... Oh, you you gotta go. (laughs) You you gotta go. You became Snakefish. From the brilliant, brilliant episode. Uh, Space Hole? What was that called? Something like that. I never remember the names of them. Um, anyway, Worf's being consoled by Dax when Quark comes in and tells Dax that Grilka invited him to dinner and he needs Klingon love advice. Uh, Dax gives her best acting performance to date when Quark says Grilka is glorious and Dax looks in Worf's direction, who is not paying attention, and says quietly, So I hear. Uh, I guess she's got the hots for Worf. Worf decides... I mean, at least that is not out of the goddamn blue. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Dax has been throwing this idea around a few times already since the start of season four. I don't know if it was a full dedicated slow build or whatever, but they've definitely been having her flirty with him. Um. Anyway, uh, Worf decides he's going to Cyrano this shit for Quark so he can like... <laughs> Prove he knows Klingon ladies, I guess. I don't know who he's proving it to himself. Um, yeah, because that old man ain't going to know this happened. No. And by the way, he wouldn't believe The one it. who said he didn't know nothing about Klingon women? That guy ain't going to know. Who are you impressing? That guy really tore him up, too. We talked about how Guinan tore him up in the last episode. This guy did a, a reverse Guinan. This guy did a better job because he's so, like, listen, man. <laughs> I know I know this ain't your deal. He's like, it's cool. It's fine. You're fine. It's fine. He's very friendly in his it's like utter not a touch of sarcasm about no. it either, but it just utterly crushes him. Uh, Quark confirms that all of his good advice worked on Grilka, and um, later they're rehearsing some holodeck program filled with batleths and I assume fucking. And Quark is having trouble with the whole turn off your universal translator and speak Klingon thing. Um. <laughs> After the fun holo program, uh, which I guess it went over really well, Quark and Grilka are getting uh, getting along, and then her guard can't fucking stand it, so he challenges Quark to a fucking duel. Yeah, he's got a real racism about the whole thing. Yeah, I, was, like, I wasn't sure what his motivation was. Is he interested in her, or he just thinks Ferengi are trash? I don't know. Um... Worf and Dax come it up. Could, it could be uh, Luton's assistant scenario. It could. Um, I wish I could I don't remember, remember that guy's name. Or and title. I don't remember the name of Luton's wife. So That's no, a tough one. That was a long time ago now in, um, in real time. We saw that many years ago. Yeah, that was in 2016, I'm almost certain. Yeah, it had to have been because we started doing this... 18, 19, 20 episodes in. Um, anyway, Worf and Dax come up with an idea to control Quark's body like a fucking toy. Worf will do the cool fighting moves and Quark's body will, will mimic them thanks to like a crazy implant. And it's Yeah, Dax yeah. fucking whips up a slave collar <laughs> to put on Quark to control his body with Worf's Oculus Rift. This is one of those, this is one of the many episodes of DS9 where you wonder... What's this go doing? It's <laughs> a very good question. He's fucking barely in this yeah, one. He doesn't care about any of this. None of this is any of his. He concern. was in this so little that I was sure he had directed it, <laughs> but he had not. This was directed oh. by Garrick. Yep. Yeah, it was a Jort production for sure. Uh. Anyway, Quark goes to rest before the big fight, and Dax drops some cool hints about how Worf should be looking a bit closer to home for his mate, but he he doesn't get it. Um. And then it's time for the big fight. Initially, it goes pretty well, but Worf is a show-off. And he accidentally <laughs> cuts his controller in half. And the <laughs> signal's broken. Hey, that bad lath of his doesn't actually look very sharp. It would just knock that thing off his body, right? Yeah, that probably still wouldn't be good. He'd have to go and pick it up off the ground and everything. Yeah, for sure. But, like, at the low speed he was moving that bat lath, <laughs> it either just snapped a thing or, like, it for sure did not cut it at that speed. No, there's no way. Um, Quark stalls by declaring his right to a proclamation or something while Dax and Worf try to repair the, the toy. They eventually succeed, and Worf quickly ends the fight this time. Uh, Grilka dismisses the dude from her house 
fucking tough day for that guy. Got his ass kicked by a Ferengi and got kicked out of his house. He seems, like, weirdly happy about it, though. Well. Like, I guess he didn't get killed. So there is that. That's right. Could have been worse, I guess. And she says your honor is satisfied. So maybe, like, he's... It's maybe honorable he's going to keep this one real quiet for sure, Yeah, but could have gone worse. Honorable discharge should probably do a recommendation letter for him. So like if when he joins another house or whatever, he'll show recommend him. It'll be the basic stuff, though. It'll just be oh, yeah. he was employed from this time to this time. Uh, cetera, appreciate you know? the effort. Um, wishes him all the best in the future. Probably doesn't go so far as to invite him back whenever he wants. Yeah. Um, Dax turns off, uh, well, uh, Grilka and Quark go off to fuck somewhere, clearly. Um, Dax turns off Worf's spyware and then starts a sex fight with Worf, who finally begins to understand. Um, and by the way, he's also immediately all in. Well, I assume because all that shit Dax is saying, um, is, it's all in Klingon, is about- Oh, it's extremely sexy? Yeah, what, what she wants to do with his dick and all that. Uh, they start sex choking each other, and I fucking hated it. Quark and... Uh, it was for sure the second worst part of this episode. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I haven't gotten to the B-plot, and it's very bad there. Maybe I don't have to go there. We don't. Maybe we don't do B-plot. No, I think you do need to say what happened in the you're B-plot. Right. Well, anyway, Quark and Grilka are in the infirmary getting treatment after their violent sex when Worf and Dax come in for treatment after their violent sex. This episode's out to get me, I wrote. Uh, Dax and Worf chat about how much fucking they're going to do, and I honestly missed the joke, but Worf gets us out on the most TOS fucking laughing fade-out you'll ever see. The worst yeah. fake laugh ever. It's it's incredibly bad, and you have to remember that also in this week, Guinan chided him about how he never laughs. <laughs> and it's like, hey. oh, seems like he still doesn't. Yeah, well, he doesn't know how to do it for sure, but it seems like maybe all he ever needed was to, like, get some release because like five <laughs> minutes he, after he, he fucks he's laughing like a maniac did he laugh in reunion after they definitely fuck in the <laughs> no well then she did the thing where she's oh, like, not reunion in uh, the emissary uh, no because she immediately did the thing where she's like i'm gonna be your mate fucking idiot <laughs> i know you smelled my hand i get it like we're not i'm not mating with you though we're not mates <laughs> we just fucked it's different yeah i was there when you smelled my hand that doesn't mean i have to marry you yeah guess what then she went back to her quarters and after she broke the table she was planning on putting her hands into some sand but fucking troy fucking walked in instead um b plot fuck b plot is rough on this one julian and o'brien chat about kira and how much o'brien and kira are fighting i guess o'brien's at the infirmary asking about all of kira's ailments on her behalf like because she's pregnant she can't make it i don't know yeah because she's got his baby in her and that makes her body his property so he's gonna see the doctor and they're gonna talk about her medical needs <clears throat> that's correct yeah. uh he reveals he noticed a rash on kira when he was helping her out of the tub and bashir is not cool about it at all nope back in o'brien's quarters kira and o'brien get real fucking cozy with this massage and I wasn't a fan of this at all. Keiko's right there, you fucking turds. He's massaging her way up on her legs. Oh, yeah. He gets up on her legs, and then she gets up, and she, like, fucking pulls his hands back over. And it's like, nah, right here, big boy. You big fucking, <laughs> you fucking big old mountain of mashed potato. Get in there. <laughs> and, I mean, 
Okay, Keiko walks in and she's just totally cool, but these two are just like their mouth. She's fucking... just like fucking doing laundry and whistling and walking around the house, and just, she's just like these two uh, are just like f- fucking dirty talking each other and shit. She's like she's like Keiko's walking through and telling Miles to uh, massage her lower down. Oh, yeah. No, get really get in there. Like, hey, get in there, <laughs> well, Miles. What are you doing? I do have a th- hey, don't half-ass this. Work her, work her over. They do have an unfortunate theory corner for later about Keiko. Um. Anyway, again, they get real close. I, I wrote, I've never seen this in Star Trek before, where two of the main characters are kind of having an affair. Yes. Uh, I don't understand what I'm seeing. The fucking closest thing is when Worf gets a wild hair up his butt about Troy and goes to talk to Riker about it. <laughs> and he's very respectful. He's extremely respectful He's about it. He's upfront and respectful. And by the way, you have to be, because it's impossible to know when those two are fucking. Oh, yeah, yeah, You would need to be super clear on that, for sure. Like, so, are you guys, like, are you cool right now, or are you going to a romantic walk to that your favorite spot on Beta Z in a minute? Are you wearing your... To fuck outdoors, your sex, is what I'm asking. Are you wearing your sex tourism clothes, like you did last time yeah. when you went down there? Later, um, Odo was ripping into O'Brien for being a lazy fuck. And <laughs> he expects Kira to go along with it. That's my favorite part of this, is it seems like uh, here comes O'Brien's favorite topic, lazy fucking Irish O'Brien. Yep. And that's not the problem, but you know what I mean, and there's a reason I said it. <laughs> and Kira fucking defends him. And you could see why Odo would hate that. Because as you said, he thought this was a thing that... F- they do that. They have fun doing yeah, talking exactly. shit. Now he looks guy. like an asshole. Exactly right. It is suddenly oh, turned, you're going to make me an asshole. It's turned into Odo the asshole, and he hates that. And he gives it five to weeks him. ago. You called him a walking cabbage, and then you said <laughs> barely walking. <laughs> he gives it to her good about how she's now got she's feeling shit for that old lump. And um, Kira comes home and tells Keiko and O'Brien that she's going to Bajor for a relaxing trip because she has got to get away from this irresistible fuck machine. Yeah, because they had a, they shared a little fancy together about going to Ireland. Yeah, fucking lumpy O'Paste over here is who she can't stop fucking fantasizing about. She wants to hang out with like his family and his <laughs> shitty towny friends that never have <laughs> that have never been out of Ireland even though there's transporters. They don't know who the Bajorans are. They keep confusing them with Benzites. Like, oh, I thought you guys had yeah, like one of them gonna, harmonicas. They're going to see this pregnant woman that he's traipsing around Ireland. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> this is her sex fantasy. O'Brien encourages her to go, but then Keiko fucking makes him go with her on vacation. So now it's yeah. worse than ever. O'Brien and Kira... To a secluded cottage. Are about to set off on their cozy, isolated vacation together, and Kira describes how romantic it is, and all the, what a beautiful scenery and everything. And O'Brien says he'll just have to piss off Keiko. They cannot be <laughs> alone together. He'll, he'll take one for the fucking team. They fight all the time anyway. <laughs> These two can't be alone together because they will fuck. Yeah, is what the characters say with their mouths. Yep. Um, O'Brien says, it would have been nice, and Kira says, in another life, for fucking real. Yeah. What do I do for the next almost three seasons of this show? That's gonna be a lot. Every time you see those two <laughs> or in a or fucking anyone. runabout. 
don't don't worry once this baby's fucking out of her there's never going to be any tension between those two idiots again it's uh it's so wild they made them go this far because i don't have any idea how we're supposed to go forward like every time i see o'brien with keiko i want to be like this fucking guy we know what he's up to uh, anyway, that's the fucking episode. Two plots that made me very upset. And uh, I want to know what you think this episode was about. Well, um, I looked at it from all angles. And I think that the the take away from this episode is that a man and a woman can't be friends. <laughs> Could be. The Listen, the A plot here is Cyrano de Bergerac. But without yeah. any of the pathos. Sure about the characters or anything like that. It's dumb Cyrano de Bergerac. Yeah. And I don't think there's a real take there. And I did spend 25 minutes reading the spark notes on Cyrano de Bergerac just, just to see if there was a take there that I could steal. Just in case you saw something familiar to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what to do with that. Um, the Dax Wharf ending is the same thing. Cause Dax watches Worf be a petulant baby for a whole hour here and still somehow wants him uh, for a whole year first. And then a whole hour here. Because he's been nothing but a petulant baby since he came on board. She sees idiot teenage Worf uh, with his big crush on Grilka, even though he knows fucking dick about her. Uh Uh-huh. He knows shit about dick in general. That's that's correct. She watches this for a whole goddamn hour. She watches him almost get quark killed by showing off with the goddamn Batleth. And then she's like, let's fuck right here in the hollow suite. The nastiest place on the station to fuck, (laughs) by the way. Do you think quark mops? No way. No, there's all kinds of fluids and just go. I think assume it's a graded floor. It just kind of slops its way down. What a disaster of a take, and what a disaster that DS9 did not lose the week last week, so I couldn't play Thin Line by Jurassic (laughs) 5. I know. Yep. Friends for a long time. Um, It's one point for me, buddy. Opposites attract. (laughs) This was a blessing in friendship. (laughs) Respect was intended. (laughs) Oh, man. I take it back. I I love Charlie too, and I'd listen to him all the time. I, hell yeah, I'm into that song. Let's hear that right fucking now. I'll play a little to go out, maybe. Right. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, oh, I'm sorry. What was the number on that? I gave it a one. Okay. Uh, ben gave it a three, saying Cyrano with Klingons and Ferengi, or sex in the space future is nasty. <clears throat> all right i wrote i don't know what i meant i wrote looking for romance look closer to home now i understand that sounds incesty but that's not what i meant um <laughs> i guess i i'm trying to link them i guess wharf wanting grilka and ignoring dax is kind of like o'brien and kira wanting each other when when keiko and presumably shakar are around somewhere but that B-plot is so wild, it's hard to connect the two of them. Anyway, I think the episode title told us what this episode was about, but I couldn't... I, I think they just did it bad. Uh, my response is, so what? It's uh, three. Well, let's swing into execution. Um. Oh, yeah, executing on the take that I never wanted to explore? Okay. they uh, They did a real... Uh, am I watching Star Trek or is this HBO on the B plot? Just like a lot of 
uh, people cheating on their spouses and uh, being shitty. Again, don't know what we're supposed to, how we're supposed to look at these two again moving forward. In the A plot, you get Bad Wharf, Bad O'Brien. Or not in the A, not in the A plot, but in the episode, you get Bad Wharf, Bad O'Brien, Bad Kira, Bad Kago, Bad Bashir. Good Quark, I think. Um, yeah, sort of like Quark. Uh, Quark really puts it all out there. Yeah, it's not even about him. One. The episode's not about him, no. but he he goes ham. And I think Grilka's pleasant enough. Probably better Dax than we've gotten. But I think it's just... Well, they gave her something to do, and um, that's helpful. It's helpful when it's not about her, but she's got something to do. It's helpful when she's not reading Technobabble out of the fucking yes. console. Um, but it's just a lot of people fumbling around trying to get wet, which is not much of an episode. <laughs> and, like, for a second, you might think the plot's going to end up being that they have a horny virus on board again. But no. Oh yeah, could have been, but everyone just accepts it. No one's like, "Why am I so horny?" <laughs> it's all just or, real, dude. It's all just real shit. Yeah, nah, this is just. I mean, even if it had uh, been a horny virus at the end, they would have said it's what everyone really if, feels. But I just when we went back to the in the horny episode, uh-huh. Kira was horny for Cisco. Wait, uh, no, Dax was. Dax was horny for Cisco. Who was Kira, Kira was horny for? Horny for Bashir, so that her and her real life lover could kiss. Bashir. Who was was the chief horny for anybody? No, he was in a fight with Keiko. God, it was such a bad episode. He spent the whole time <laughs> away from everyone else, yelling at Keiko from behind a door. Do you remember this? <laughs> he he like promised he was going to resign from Starfleet and shit. Like he was. That's where he was that whole episode. God, it was such a bad episode. That didn't get points. That I don't I don't even need to look it up. I remember that we scored that one quite bad. Um uh but no, this is all real shit. I didn't like it on almost any level. I'm gonna, I'm going to give it I'm giving it a 2. Um Ben's a 3. He says all the sexual politics in this one are shady and he's not wrong. Yeah, um, there's a lot of in the 90s it was still cool to just like trick a lady. Yeah. Just trick her. Yeah. She won't know. Um, He says the tension between Worf and Quark doesn't amount to anything, and that is true. Worf has read Cyrano de Bergerac, or he remembers Barclay's play. <laughs> he was Cyrano de Bergerac. You know, the serial play that they did over many weeks where they did one scene every night. He was forced to go to all of those, the one scene per night fucking schedule. Yeah. And then also, so, he was... He, you don't really see him, but like Data, he's looking around with a real "I smell shit" look on his face. Yeah, the, his dishonor is his big nose, but this is uh, he knows what he's doing, so he 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 doesn't care about Quark pretty quick in this one. Right. Um, what can you say about this episode? Everyone tries. Mm-hmm. Um, Nana visitor and Kalamini try to make their runabout scene funny. Mm-hmm. Ar- Armin Shimmerman tries to do some mime work and give an awkward speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Dorn tries to sing opera and sulk in corners. No one tries harder than Grilka's dad or whoever that's supposed to be. <laughs> that nice, that nice, that nice jerk. I'm gonna say he was nice, but he was also a jerk. Yeah, hey, but ultimately hey, listen, in this, hey, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, why don't you come, son of Moog, son of Moog, right? Why don't you come over here? I got I got some stories to tell you over here. Hey, listen. Hey, man. You know, you ain't you ain't got any 
you ain't got any honor, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, I, since I was thinking about how you don't have any honor and how your name is a literal curse, that uh, no, are you okay though? Are you still just stay with me on this one? You look dejected. By the way, I know, this is I going. know this doesn't sound good, but I just, <laughs> I just let's walk through it. You know, you never like smell. None, none of this is new to you, right? So let's just walk through it. You don't know the smell of Klingon trim, and I just, and I know that sounds. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound right, but I just, you know, you don't know. How, and you got, hey, you know what? Why don't you, why don't you go back to your quarters and just kind of think about what you're doing with your life? All right, buddy. Um, ultimately, in this story where two and a half couples fall in love, no one can explain a single thing they like about the person they're falling for. <laughs> yeah. They all just read the script. And then said that they were supposed to. Uh, I read a review of this episode that said that some credit is due for not making Kira sexless just because she's pregnant. But I've, I, can, I just find it so hard to give the writers any credit for that as if that's intentional or they had thought about it at all. I'm sure they just said she doesn't look too pregnant or whatever. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Like, I can't imagine they actually are okay on this, the politics of this. No, that's probably one of them. That's their, spe- that's their specific kink. Yeah. Oh, that's probably Would true too. Yes. Uh, there's a much better story in this episode about Worf realizing that he doesn't know anything about Grelka and he's projecting all of his romantic ideals onto her or whatever, but they dodged that accidental insight bullet. <laughs> um, Truly, this is a lesser work of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I gave it a three. You want to pull the writers aside like that old man and give them a little bit I mean, talk. a little bit. I kind of do want to tell them their name is a curse. <laughs> when I say the writers, nothing good ever comes after that. No, I don't know. Does, does, does Jort bear any responsibility for this, or is this just on the writers? I don't know. Do you, I don't think there's anything particularly bad about the direction. Okay. They weren't, like, trying a real obvious thing, like, every time they cut back to the ship, you never knew which one was going to be chasing it. Anything <laughs> like that. <clears throat> they, didn't, they didn't do the, uh, not this Cardassian, pull out, single yellow light, or whatever. <laughs> World building. Yeah. Um, Ben's a five. Damn. Uh, all the stuff about Grucka's house and the war, Klingon courtship, uh, the romance of uh, Kalis and Lucara. Choking fantasies. Uh, joking fantasies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, for me, we uh, there's this strong sense that the Klingon war is over. Yep. There's a throwaway line at the beginning where Dax says the negotiations must be going well. Because this lady, uh, who had lost most of her house to the Federation, is just hanging on DS9 now. Worf knows some region-specific Klingon mating rituals. Uh, and as usual, Matthew, what is honor? It's <laughs> a good question. How... Well, it's a magic It's a magic cloak. It protects one like a magic cloak. Well, it protects one like a magic cloak. I understand that. Uh, I mean, I want to talk about it. Probably, I'll probably talk about it for an hour. But <laughs> yeah, uh, I actually didn't think there was uh, as much world building in here as I would have liked. I gave it a two. I was in agreement. I actually said two could see a one. 
so there is continuity. There's Grilka continuity in her house. But all the important stuff about that, I think, was settled in the last one. All the stuff about whether a lady could lead a house and what it meant if her husband got killed and who had the rights and all this shit. Um, so, yeah. So there's a little bit of continuity there. Uh, there are the Basai Masters. Yes, they're the big, the great poets. Oh, yeah. This super cool remote fighting technology. Um, are duels to the death legal on DS9? Yeah. <laughs> Is it just space New Jersey? <laughs> Two senior officers are deeply involved in this fucking scheme. Yeah. To have one Klingon fight one Ferengi to the death, presumably. Yeah, it like, if the Klingon dies, no one's gonna care. We know that. If Quark dies, do Dax and Worf go to jail? That's what I'm saying. What is this? Like, is Rom going to press charges? I feel like he would. I just, why would they get so involved in this? To do a Cyrano? They going to have a duel to the death on the station for a Cyrano? At no point also do we see Worf showing Quark his Batleth trophy from Parallels or anything. <laughs> to really trust him? Just be like, hey, I actually... I actually am really good at this. I killed Duras. You may remember that. I killed Duras. Worf definitely breaks a rule in this episode, a rule of mine, which is don't fuck with strangers because you don't know one of them might be Jet Li. You know what I mean? Like, this is exactly right. Like, he, we don't know this guy. What if this guy's we insane? We don't know nothing about Thorop or whatever this dude's name <laughs> he is. He might be a fucking, he might be a Stone Cold killer. Like, I don't know this fucking dude. I never seen him around. But. I guess he's just like nah it'll be cool I'm good at Batleth I'm the best I'm Batleth champion so alright fuck I guess anyway yeah I mean all of that with the Starfleet involvement is just insane um all of Keiko's herbal medicine stuff whatever that's uh sorry Kira's herbal medicine stuff whatever that's worth yeah I, I said I could see a one but I have it as a two um characterization Ben is a six he says he likes the start of Dax and Worf's relationship here. So far, it's the best thing about either of their characters on DS9. And I have to agree. Because Worf has sucked on main since he joined the cast, and so has Dax. You're not wrong. The best, listen, the best part about Dax in the whole show is that she's horny and she doesn't care who knows. That's right. That's the win. That's the win the writers deserve. They at least made a horny lady who's just like, yeah, I like to fuck the bad guy from Final Fight. What about it? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> um, he points out that Worf does know how trills work ahead of time and still bangs Dax. So I guess he's not hung up on uh, that stuff yet. But uh, unfortunately, well, he's also not like fucking deeply in love with Dax. No. Dax said sex words at him on a holodeck and he was like, Okay. And, and then afterwards, he's like, listen, once upon a time, I would have said we got to take the <laughs> oath, but you you get that I'm not that interested in doing that, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, he was definitely way hornier than, um, than feeling romance feelings. That's for sure. Uh, also, I have seen all the other episodes, and I know that he does become quite hung up on, uh, on Trill stuff. Uh, and he made... Uh, also, I want to point out that this is, uh, uh, this is on form for Worf because definitely in a dream he learns about Deanna Troy and dates her for three weeks or whatever because of it. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I can only assume it just didn't turn out to be as as cool as it was in that alternate universe. Yeah. He's just like, you know what? Never mind. This isn't that great. Uh, and Ben maintains that Quark is still brave as hell or horny as hell. One of the two. I agree. Well, for sure, when Worf says, all right, here, you take a fresh leg of this fucking animal and you sweep everything off her table and you say, I want to provide, I would have been like, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> Not done. I'm out. <laughs> I think she ain't going to buy that from me. Dating sucks and I don't want to do it. I'm going back to the hollow suite. Thank you. Nah. I, I own the hollow. Do you know about me? I own the hollow suite. I can get fucking fuck in there anytime I fucking want. Hey, I got Kira's body in there. It has my head on it, but <laughs> I'm kind of into it. It turns out I kind of like that. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but it's true. He goes all out and no matter how good Worf is at the Batleth, you could have a, a tech problem, which they do end up having. Uh-huh. Um, B, uh, Worf might not be able to see so very good through that thing and just might get, might get you killed. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> again, don't fight a stranger. That's another possibility. Don't fight a stranger. What he if takes the dude risk. is just so much stronger than Quark? Yeah. Who is very little. Oh, yeah. Worf. That it doesn't matter. What if it's just a weight class problem? Worf is so convinced his skill is going to get him through this one. But uh, what if Worf's, uh, Quark's weak ass fucking body just crumbles? So, yeah, he takes a lot of risks for this lady for sure. But he did in the last episode, too. Um. So anyway, he's a he's a six. I'm lower than that. Um, Quark's hearing is good enough to eavesdrop through the doors on the station, but that seems like a design flaw and not really his fault. Because also Bashir. Yeah, well, we don't know. We don't know that he. Well, first of all, it's a Cardassian station, so they probably don't give a shit. Yep. And also, those dudes barely even have ears. Bashir could also hear. He couldn't hear like all the words, but he could. He was sitting right. there listening to them. Uh, Quark pursues Grilka throughout, but this episode's not really about him, but he's maybe willing to die for this lady again, so that's something. He ends up with her in the end, so I wonder if we'll have to track that moving forward. Um, Worf is absolutely unable to control himself and stalks this lady at the bar like a real, let's just say Bashir. Yeah, he kind of Bashirs it up, for sure. And then he just acts like a real fucking virgin in the bar trying to get this lady's attention. Just like, oh, I'll beat up Morn. That'll, she'll be fuck. She'll be like, oh, yeah. See the way you beat up Morn? I want to have sex with him. <laughs> this is really <laughs> his plan. Um. Uh, also, he says to Morn, I'll apologize for this at a future date. Worf, you're going to jail, buddy. <laughs> yeah, if there's any justice on this station. And That's I... not consent. The thing that you said to Morn <laughs> does not constitute later. consent on his part to be hit by you. It's such a wild space station. Apparently there is no rules even for Starfleet on this fucking station. Uh, anyway, then he has to... He has it's to... just like they just know that Cisco's working on a clock right now. It's for, I mean... Anything goes when he's when he's in clock mode, for sure. Anyway, he has to eat it and admit he's never got with a Klingon lady before. And, and he, Oh, even though, by the way, he has. Yeah, you know, she was a halvesy. It must not count to him. I guess it doesn't. What a racist. Although, yeah, two halvesies. Shit. Because that's Bael, too. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, she was a teenager. That's even more shameful. We'll get into it. Yeah, we definitely will. Um... Anyway, he blasts, he blasts and sings along to Klingon opera on the bridge of the Defiant at night like a fucking serial killer. 
He sucks so hard in DS9 that he even ruins his Cyrano deal by showing off. Yes. Like, he just sucks all the time. Anyway, Dax basically uh, tears all her clothes off and jumps on him before he realizes um, that she's even into him. Yeah. But I guess they're an item now, too. Uh, Dax helps Worf and Quark throughout and seems pretty cool about it until Worf just can't let this lady go at the end of the episode and then she gets after it like a real Vecma. Um, <laughs> she's not as cool as Vecma. You take that back. No, she, she never will be. Um, Bashir is still real trash. That did you look stuff is oh, yeah. just... You're a doctor. But did you look? He could ask you about that. Every lady on the station who comes to the fucking infirmary. Hey, did you look? Yeah. You piece of shit. Uh, though then it turns out O'Brien definitely looked. Um, Kira and O'Brien have been fighting a lot, but then they get real fucking close in this one and right in front of Keiko's face, and I hated it. Uh, just a three for me. Yeah, three's all I could manage, too. Um, uh, let's start here. Uh, Keiko comes off as dumb as a bag of hair, and the script doesn't even give her the dignity of explaining how she feels about any of this. Nope. Uh, also, no attempt at all to explain why Kira and O'Brien are suddenly into it, except he gives good massages. Okay, maybe Kira needs that in her life, but what's O'Brien's flip about? It's like... Does he just need to hear a compliment every once in a while? Like, maybe, fuck. It's just all so gross. I hated it so much. <sighs> At least the Dax Wharf stuff has been building for a minute, so it's not out of the blue that she's into him. But again, what what switch has flipped in his mind? Literally, she says, I'm going to take your dick. I'm going to f- do things to it that are crazy to a virgin like you. <laughs> She says that in Klingon, and he's like, all right, fuck, yeah, all right, I'm into it. Well, they just, again, I'm just mad that they made no attempt to make any of these stories believable, so it is going to be a three for me. Yeah. Quick ones. Uh, yeah, Ben Ben mentions that Quark quotes the Edwin Starr song, War. Yeah. That's real irritating. Uh Oh, was yeah. that one of those rules yeah. of acquisition? I, I forgot to note it. No, he doesn't say it's specifically a rule of acquisition. Okay. Um, uh, so I said, keep your head, Worf. This ain't Kalar we're talking about. <laughs> That's right. Like, Dax, I don't get what's so good about this Grilka. Well, I mean, I thought she was, I thought she was more charismatic than most of the people who are uh, main cast on this show. Well, that is true. Um, but she's got like four colored bongs on one of those shelves in there. I don't know what that's about. Uh, I'm surprised those didn't get shattered when that Lethian was looking, was looking for the biomimetic gel. They're probably new bongs, honestly. Uh, do, you remember, do you remember when the Lethian <laughs> picked up all the stuff on Julian Bashir's desk because he thought the biomimetic gel might be under it? Yes. <laughs> He's like, maybe it's on his desk. <laughs> Yo, that guy was not good at his job. Uh, <laughs> is Bashir starting to gray? Oh, maybe. I just, I looked at it a little bit this time and I thought, is he starting to go gray a little bit? Well, a little touch of gray? He'll, uh, I'm sure he'll dye it up good. 
I don't think O'Brien looked because I don't think he would have not been shitty about it with Bashir if he had. <laughs> you think they would have broed out about it? I think they would have broed out about it in a gross way. But he definitely wanted to look, and that's why he was so defensive. Right? Well, it doesn't matter because in the next scene he touches. So yeah. it doesn't really matter whether he looked or not. He put his hands all over. He's into it. Fuck. Um, Garrick put some insoles in Kira's boots because she's pregnant, but he didn't think to take those heels down two inches. Right. Like she holds up them boots with the huge heels. And she's like, oh, Garrick uh, said, the yeah, try these out. These are the new shit. Uh, I guess, uh, I guess uh, Kira sucks now, too, I wrote. Yeah, she does suck. I was going to say, I think Nana must be sensitive about her height or something. It could be, yeah. How come this Klingon opera is set to the ending credits of Star Trek VI? <laughs> why is it that same music? I don't understand why it's such Star Trek end credits music. It's a very good question. Uh, again, what is the legality of fighting a duel to the death on Deep Space Nine? Mm-hmm. Does it change if neither participant is a Federation citizen? No one bats a fucking eye. Yeah, apparently you can have them there, though. You can just, like, throw your fucking canoe over to DS9 and have a duel to the death there, because it's totally fine. Yep. Uh, in, uh, in Redemption, when we were talking about Redemption, I asked if extortion was honorable. Mm. Now I ask how this fucking Batleth cheat can be seen as honorable in any way. A hundred percent. Does Worf even think about these things, or is there just a list of dishonorable actions on Klingon Wikipedia, yeah. and technically they don't say a dog can't play football? <laughs> right, yes, no, he doesn't put any reason into it at all, you're right, it's like he's checking things off a list, and um, apparently he's never considered whether it's honorable it's just, to ruin this Klingon's fucking, life. It's fucking video game style, like, you get... 80 honor points mm-hmm. for killing someone in battle and minus 20 honor points for doing something else. And it's just like, uh, puppeting a, a, puppeting a man's body in a fight to the death to cheat his opponent is not, well, that's not even on the list. Like they just didn't think to program it. <laughs> so right. I've been spamming the good guy responses all the way until now. So I can handle this little hit. <laughs> oh, I got so a lot of points built up. Yeah, I'll yeah, still yeah, go on yeah, a date yeah, with yeah. Aris. It's totally cool. Um, best actor this week, Quark. Worst actor, Bashir. Matthew. Mm. Do you have some quick hitters? Uh, I had best actor candidate Keiko for the way in the teaser she just says Quark when she slides past him and Julian into her quarters. And <laughs> I fucking withered and died on the other side of the screen with the amount of contempt in her voice and the shit smell look she gave. <laughs> she hates him, is probably racist, and I felt it. I recognize the Klingon dude in this one, the one who's in the duel, who's with Grilka. His name is Phil Morris, and he been in everything, including Babylon 5, Star Trek 3, all kinds of stuff. Audition for the role of Cisco. didn't get it. They told him he was too young. Ouch. Man, how much younger could he be than Avery Brooks? I wonder. I'm it up. Yeah, I'm not going to either, but I wonder. <laughs> he was in Star Trek 3. Like, I don't think he's that young. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, <laughs> but as a cadet, right? Uh, he's, well, are they, I don't even know if they're cadets. It's hard. I've never understood what is happening in Star Trek Two. They do seem like they are officers, but they are also on a training cruise. And I don't know if they're just like fresh out of the academy and they're getting like, some extra good training 
or yeah, what? I think it's like you know, like midshipmen uh, do a little tour in between their junior and senior years on a ship but or something like that. They keep calling her lieutenant. She's a lieutenant the whole time. The Savic chick. Oh, Savic! I don't think it's one of the cadets, but uh, like Scotty's goddamn nephew. Oh uh, yeah, that guy was definitely. He didn't seem like an officer for sure, but I didn't know if he was yeah. a cadet or just enlisted. I don't know. It's very confusing. Um, also this, they confused me so bad and con too, when they said hours, it seemed like days and just, <laughs> yeah. What do you even do with that? Con's, con's listening. Hey, I watched that movie recently. Con's <laughs> listening to that whole thing. And he's just like, totally cool. Seems right to me. <laughs> hours would seem, yeah. Right. That's what, that's what happens when you go by the book. We don't do that here. He was a fucking, do you remember that he's an intellectual Superman? <laughs> he says so. I mean, he keeps saying he is. But yeah, I think his lieutenant well, not is the in Superman. That one. I think his lieutenant is the real genius who tells him every time, hey man, he gives him the Klingon talk. He goes, hey man. Joaquin? Let's, yes. Let's come over here. Let's come come, come over here, man. Hey man, we got the ship, right? And like, <laughs> we got Genesis. So, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to do this. What, what does that mean from hell's heart I stab it? <laughs> what is, yeah, what, when you say that, let me ask you a question because I'm not sure you what thought do we about do? it. <laughs> What do you what mean that? when you say that? What does that mean to you? <laughs> that guy is the real deal. He's like, you know, we can't go on that nebula, right? Like, I know you don't listen to me no more, but like you, that nebula, that's going to negate all the advantages we got. We shouldn't go in there. Well, I mean, we've seen, we seen them. We've seen them augments in Enterprise. <laughs> yep. In their underwear and everything. And they definitely heads. seem more like, they definitely seem more like the star trek 3 <laughs> con than they do like a uh, space seed con yeah um uh i got a theory corner about keiko that she's trying to force them into an affair so she has an excuse to leave o'brien what do you think yeah yeah that's the best possible theory because she could not be that dumb there's no way. <laughs> not possible worst actor candidate war for that dreadful laugh out we get uh, that is it is real bad, uh, but I did love when he went to stand in the no no corner when <laughs> when Court came in to ask for dating advice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, nope. That's two. We did two. We did two. The winner last week was Voyager. It's only the third time I've ever said that. No. Um. So next, we're going to talk about Timeless. <laughs> All right, we open on two people in insulated grocery bags on an ice world, mm. and under the ice is the frozen USS Voyager. What? Uh, finally. Uh, it's Chakotay and Harry Kim, uh, and they have strange comm badges, and they're old. Uh, and Harry Kim's Inside got a different haircut. Ship. Yeah, that's right. Different, they got different hair, and they, the, the hair's got some gray in it. I mean, Chakotay's got more than Harry Kim, but he's got some, too. Yep. Inside the ship, they beam on in. Dead, frozen bodies everywhere. All of our favorite crewmen. Yeah. Uh, Chakotay has Seven's dead, deceased corpse beamed up by Tessa. Tessa's a person we don't know, but she's up there. Yeah, she's with the, uh, she's with Chaco. She, yeah, she's, she's Chaco's girl. Uh, Kim reactivates the doctor, slaps his mobile emitter on him. 
And uh, then uh, when uh, Shmullis demands an explanation, Chicote says they're here to change history. <laughs> Cut to a big party in engineering mm-hmm. where Bellana christens the new quantum slipstream drive oh. and Janeway gives a big speech about how it's time to go home. Neelix gives Bellana a special bug for luck and Seven gets a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's having fun except Tom Paris. He's all worried about a simulation that no one else thought to run, but he did run. Uh-oh. And because Harry Kim is a good guy, he takes him to the holiday to run more tests. <laughs> Jeez, Harry. These tests go so bad. Yeah, they go bad. They go real bad. Like, he's like, hey, I ran a simulation and there was a .23 phase variance. And Harry Kim's all, all right, so it'll be a little bumpy. hey tom paris did you end the simulation right there because it turns out that 23 of 23 simulations ended with voyager's complete destruction yeah it's not good i mean you hate to see it you do hate to see it uh these guys break the bad news to all the party people but last week harry kim watched in theory oh good so he suggests that what if a shuttle flew out in front of voyager (laughs) and mapped you know, mapped stuff, I'm glad and then Voyager could do stuff? I'm glad somebody's caught up with the podcast, finally. Yeah, Gary Kim has caught <laughs> up with the podcast, so he knows all about... Oh, and by the way, he's Picard in this scenario. He's gotta be the one out there. It's my ship, Will. That's what he said. He didn't know why he said it. Janeway uh, calls Chakotay to recorders for her grandmother's special vegetable biryani. Mm-hmm. And tells him he's going on the Delta Flyer mission with Harry. Back in the future. Yeah. Harry Kim tells Schmullis that they think Janeway must have tried to land Voyager on this ice world and crashed. Uh, that 15 years have passed. That the ship made it all the way to just outside the Alpha Quadrant before it crashed. Yeah. And that the Delta Flyer, which was, you know, that's where they were doing the Picard business, made it all the way to Earth. Um... Harry Kim's plan here is he, listen, he did, he did bad. He did bad piloting. The man you really wanted was Riker. Uh, He sent them bad phase variance data or whatever during the initial run, but he has calculated some new shit that's better. This is the hot shit. This shit, no one's even seen this one before. This is the good one. This is, this, you want this one. And he's going to communicate it back through time using an antenna inside seven of nine's brain. You can't build one. And some, and some Borg tech that they stole, which by the way, makes them public enemy. Number one in the Federation. Uh, they know exactly what it is. They need to get out of seven's fucking head, but they cannot build it. They'd have to get that one. It has to be sevens. That's right. Uh, they didn't find another piece of salvage that they could have used Mm -hmm. or, you know, just made an antenna out of like a coat hanger or anything. Yep. Oh, but yeah, you're right. They're wanted. Uh, Dead or alive. Wanted dead or alive, for sure. Tessa tells them a Federation ship's closing in. They probably will be found within the next six hours. And then she and Chakotay uh, beam on down to retrieve the sensor logs. Um, Down there on Voyager, uh, like five minutes from, like five meters from Janeway's body and dead Tom Paris and Tuvok and everything. Chicote reminds her that if this works, the past 15 years, including their whole relationship, won't have happened, hmm. but she's all in. I mean, she uh, spends the 
Yeah, it's true. Shmuel spends the rest of the episode holding half of Seven of Nine's skull. <laughs> um, and he and Kim talk about how hard it was to move on and his survivor's guilt and how he left Starfleet when they Starfleet gave up the search for Voyager. It's all backstory for a person who's not going to exist after this episode, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> uh, Starfleet catches up with um. Schmelz agrees to help them change the past. Uh, cut back to the present to show us getting ready for the slipstream experiment. Cut back to the future to show us the Galaxy Class USS Challenger, mm. captained by Jordy LaForge. Director Jordy LaForge? Director LeVar Burton uh, directing himself as the captain of the Challenger. Hell yeah. He's done well in the five years since the end of TNG, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Captain of a whole Galaxy Class ship. Uh, he tries to talk them down, you know, they're not, he knows they're not bad people, but he's got to bring them in. And so when they, when they refuse to listen to him, they, he starts firing. Cut to the present, Voyager enters the slipstream, Harry Kim begins calculating phase corrections, Voyager's ride gets smoother briefly, but then much worse, and they lose communication with the Delta Flyer. Cut to the future, where Schmullis gets the temporal coordinates from inside Seven's dead brain, and Harry Kim sends the message. Cut to the present, where Seven gets the message through a cranial implant, but the corrections don't work, and Uh, Voyager gets thrown out of the slipstream and crashed into the goddamn ice again. These were supposed to be the hot ones. Harry realizes in the future that since they're still there, the plan must have failed. Chakotay manages to slip out of the Challenger's tractor beam, but it means that the warp core is going to go bad in three minutes. Well, the he has that to the second. He has that space trait uh, checked on that he's better at resisting tractor beams. Tractor beams. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, Shmola asks Harry if there's a way to abort the slipstream flight entirely, since he can't seem to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. He frantically gets to work. Uh, they power the transmitter using Shmola's mobile emitter, and I guess that's enough for one more try. As the Delta Flyer explodes, we see Seven receive the new transmission in the past, and the new phase correction shut down the whole quantum slipstream. Janeway gives a captain's log. Uh, this little experiment took ten years off their journey. It's not bad. So you know they're taking the slipstream drive apart. <laughs> it's right. Then she goes to tell Harry Kim that Seven found his security code in her transmission coming from somewhere in the future. They laugh at the predestination paradox involved in the whole thing. She calls him their guardian angel. Then she gives him a tricorder and fucks right off, and he watches a very short letter that he sent to himself. End of episode. Matthew, what's this one about? All right. Ben says that he was sure he fell asleep before the end, and he didn't care, but he'll take a stab. Guilt drives people to incredible lengths to redeem themselves, and he gave it only a one. I was in the same neighborhood. I said, turns out guilt actually is a powerful motivator. You'd think the lesson would be something like, you can't let guilt guide your life's (laughs) path or something. (laughs) But they do end up changing history and saving Voyager, no matter what it costs possible future Harry, Kim, and Chakotay. So no matter what you'd expect the take to be, this is it. And I don't have feelings about it either way. So I gave it a five. We're going to be a little bit apart here. Okay. Um, 
for me, the take of this dumb episode is you can never go home again. This is the second time that Harry Kim has changed a whole fucking timeline <laughs> yep. in order to get back to being trapped in the Delta Quadrant. He loves it there. Yeah. And the real reason, is, oh, as always, is to put things right that once went wrong, which is terrible and nothing. I only gave it two points uh, for a take. Are you sure it's not because he's turned on by the Kazon? He's just got to get around those Kazons. He's got to go back. It's an, it's an interesting thought. <laughs> he may need... Have we seen a Kazon woman? Nah, mean, maybe that doesn't matter for him. I was going to say, I don't think it matters. Yeah, maybe it's it a, a Duras situation. So just a two, huh? Okay. Just a two. Uh, let's talk execution. Um, the whole thing stinks to begin with, <laughs> since you know the best that Future Kim is going to be able to do is save Voyager from being destroyed. He can't. He's not going to be able to make the slipstream drive actually work and get them home. Sure. Yes. Uh, the good outcome is unsatisfying going in. Yeah. It is gruesome watching Schmalz hold a piece of Seven's skull, and no one even seems to be creeped out. Same with Chicote and Tessa on Voyager's bridge with all those dead people. Yeah, you got like the rare situation of a frozen TP and all that business. Um, Chicote's Bonnie and Clyde relationship does nothing to make me like him more. Oh, and this lady, uh, boy, did she need to be in there? Huh? Yeah. I mean, is it supposed to be cool that he's willing to risk everyone's life to go back in time and almost certainly undo this relationship and he's somehow browbeaten this woman into it? Like, <laughs> Right. Um, then they introduce these magic crystals that they got from somewhere and which are decaying, so they have to do the slipstream thing now. And they can and never do then it again. When Harry, and never do it again. Then when Harry Kim says the trouble starts at 17 seconds in the simulator, no one asks, how far would 16 seconds get us? Right. Uh, and again, even though they cut 10 years off their journey, Janeway has the drive dismantled. Why? They now know exactly how to break out of the slipstream when things get shitty. Yeah, I'd look for more of them crystals. Yeah, or I'd be working on them Some crystals. other kind of crystal, maybe, that could do the same job, perhaps. Yeah, so this was trash. I gave it two points for execution. Okay. Um, Just two. Ben agreed he gave it a two. Uh, he said uh, they don't show the crew running tests of this ice icebreaker shuttle scheme. Why would that work? Why risk the whole crew on this untested idea? Yeah, they really yeah. do. They sort of introduce the idea of these decaying crystals, and then everyone's just like in a real fucking hurry. They don't really explain it very well, but everyone, we, we, we gotta do it. We gotta do this thing now. Um, You know, I gave some thought to th this plot, and I couldn't come up with a character other than Janeway herself who would better fit this story. I think it makes sense that young Ensign Kim would carry this with him. Like you said... Yeah, this would be a bummer for him, for sure. Voyager is the only thing he loves. He's proven it again and again. <laughs> he, he proves it in this episode again. He doesn't care who he has to kill to get back there. Tom Paris will be better off dead <laughs> yep. than in the Delta Quadrant. Convinces or, him than of Living it. this weird vagabond life. Yeah. Tom Paris, right at the end of the episode, is like, I don't even fucking care. Chakotay's found love, but uh, she's got to maybe die. He does, Yeah, he doesn't care about her at all. He's tells the doctor. If Jordy LaForge fires a photon torpedo, this is over. Yeah, I know. They just died for nothing, and all the Voyager crew were dead. Yep. Yeah. It's not even just like, if we succeed, none of this will have happened. Very real chance you just die. 
Yeah, and I mean, okay, so we know Janeway is the most guilty on the ship. We had the whole episode where she wouldn't come out of her quarters for two months or whatever because she was so guilty. Um, so maybe she would have been the obvious pick for this episode, but I probably too on the nose. We've already done episodes like this where she's power, she's got the powerful guilt, and we're going to have more of them later. So, so I guess best to change it up. But she's undoubtedly more fun to watch than old Harry Kim. So would have been maybe better to have her do this trip. Um, do you think that Kate Mulgrew would have intentionally channeled Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon? <laughs> I fucking hope so. If she had a future mullet, that would have been amazing. <laughs> she comes out there in her fucking future mullet, future mullet and like uh, has a real tantrum when the first changes don't go over. <laughs> God, Harry Kim. Okay. Um, okay, kind of lame that Voyager isn't just instantly ripped apart when it comes out of the slipstream, but sort of weirdly ends up right in a solar system and flies straight into a planet. Well, what are the odds? That's very Star Trek. Like, I know they need to be able to use Seven's brain or whatever, so they had to write it this way. But that's pretty hack. That is just straight at an ice planet. Um, and also hack that the mobile emitter just slaps onto that device. Harry made at the end. No, oh, yeah. No changes well, necessary. <laughs> is he plugging an aux cable, right? Uh, he just fuck. Uh, to me, it looked like he just slapped it down. Just went like it was one of them wireless chargers. Like he just put it straight down on the thing. And I was like, yeah. oh, well, I guess that works perfectly. That's lucky. Um, probably would have been a better use of our 40 minutes to stay in the future and explore Harry's shit and go through their whole mission. All the flashbacks. Then show us the experiment that went wrong. We don't need it. Yeah. yeah. All the flashbacks, not necessary, but actually probably lessen the drama. Like, I think if Harry or Chaco or whoever just tells us what happened... And then we get to see the dead, frozen yes. bodies. We'd be able to imagine for ourselves the horror of what happened. This is like, imagine if in the great episode, Times Squared, that we discovered last week was a great episode. Mm -hmm. If that they had done a bunch of cutbacks to the other Enterprise where first Picard Ugh. came from. Yeah, totally. I mean, I know in that one, part of it was a mystery that they didn't, that then you'd, you'd reveal part of that. But it definitely would have been worse. I mean... <sighs> I just think our own imaginations would have filled it in better. And um, it's not like they're trying to fill a two-parter. Like, just give us a quieter, cer more cerebral episode where we're just living with Harry Kim's guilt or whatever. Well, Garrett Wong did think this should have been either a two-parter or maybe a movie. A movie. I love, you know what? And obviously, to be an actor, you have to have no shame at all, obviously. I think you're absolutely, you cannot do it any other way. Yeah, because everyone's just looking at you do all your business, and you just, if you were like you or I, then you could never do it more than once. You do it the one time, and you'd go, well, that was, I can never show my face again in public. Um, But a movie? Yeah. That's some real Michael Dorn shit right there. <clears throat> um, yeah. Interesting to see Captain George of the Forge in this possible future. Uh, he was good the few times he got to run the show early on, so he should end up back in the big chair. Right? Oh, I agree. Uh, it's absolutely consistent, and you have to assume that Picard has pulled some strings, too, because he's very connected. He's pulling the Sulu. He's he on the Sulu path. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all of that being said, this wasn't bad by Voyager standards. Um, I give it a four. Ooh. Well, what about world building? 
Uh, ben is a three. He says, 15 years in the future, the Federation's also exploring the Beta Quadrant and encountering the Borg there, too. Seems like our boys should send a message back even further, maybe to when they shouldn't have helped the Borg survive. <laughs> yep, I mean... Yeah, this is weird. The Beta Quadrant is thrown in there, and it's like, you never do hear about the Beta Quadrant. No. Um, but if you look at any of the behind-the-scenes materials, the Beta Quadrant is where all of TOS happens. Yeah. It's the Earth's... Straddles the Alpha and Beta Quadrants. So, uh, it's like, they never talked about it until, they didn't start talking about the Alpha Quadrant until Deep Space Nine. Right. But it's like, all that Cardassian Bajor stuff is on one side of Earth, and all the Klingon Romulan stuff is on the other. Yeah. Yep. So, if they're in Beta Quadrant, then they're close. But guess what? They already met the Borg in the Alpha Quadrant a few times, so what do they care? Um... So, obviously, there's a ton of possible future things in this episode, but those events have been altered, so who can say how many will come to pass? So, based on the stuff that I can actually count for this, um, we got that cool as hell and not deadly at all quantum slipstream drive. Yep. Didn't they get that shit from our buddy Sam Neill? I fucking Ray Wise. <laughs> I don't know if they got it. Wasn't that what his... Didn't he brag about the quantum slipstream drive and that was the cool thing about the ship he was going to send him home in? And it was a real working technology? Yeah, something like that. I think so. Uh, We got that big fur fly. That's that's in the episode. Uh, Inaprovaline for when you're drunk. When your blood synthahol level is over 0.5%. Now I'm so confused because what's synthahol? Because what's in the hall? What is it? You're supposed to be able to shake it off. Uh, yet another fly in a shuttle ahead of the mothership and try to navigate for it. Everybody, we are told, was killed on impact. I know this is not, this didn't happen anymore, but I just had a question. But the ship looks intact, and everybody's bodies looked normal and not liquefied or whatever. Yeah. Um, everybody just hit their head in the right way, or what? This is a real grim thing to say, but have you seen no, the no. autopsy report uh, for Kobe Bryant? Nope. Okay. <laughs> well, there is a diagram showing his injuries. Okay. And um, he was ripped in half. This is what I'm saying. This is my point. At helicopter speeds. The ship, totally intact. The people, totally intact. But they right. all died on impact. Confused me. Yeah, I guess the inertial dampeners just failed a little. And everybody hit their head like just, just enough right. to to kill them, but just like, you know, just like if they fell three stories, <laughs> they weren't destroyed by it. Yeah, but all of them, they all died. No one got lucky or whatever. Right. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I was confused. Um, okay, well, maybe this is a good time to talk about how Star Trek treats time travel if you want to go down that rabbit hole. All right, let's do it. Um, I watched Star Trek 4 over the weekend. And cool. then I watched this episode. And it definitely felt like things are not treated consistently. So this episode says this. You go back in time. You change the outcome of a certain event. All of your timeline that you've been in until now is erased entirely and replaced with another hopefully better timeline. But usually what they say is the proper one, the right one. Right. 
Uh, yesterday's Enterprise stated this as fact like 50 times. They're just like, and then the Klingons are going to be hella impressed, we know for sure, and there's going to be peace in space, and none of this will ever have happened. Right. In the old ones, it seemed like you can go back and change history, and everything's exactly as it was before, and maybe even because it was supposed to happen that way. Yeah, that was often the case in the TOS time travel romps, is that it's... And also it's sort of the case... Well, Gabriel I don't, I don't Bell. Know, with Gabriel Bell, with the Bell riots. That everything is exactly as they remember it, because that's how it was supposed to happen. That's how it happened. Yeah. So, like... It's treated very inconsistently, and I... Look, I don't know how it works. I've never been traveled through time. I'm just saying, like... It would be nice if they picked one and stuck to it. And they, everyone in this episode says, well, it's not going to, like, nothing's going to, none of this will have happened. Our whole relationship or whatever. But, like, what if the timeline you're traveling from continues exactly as it was and your change creates, like, a different timeline entirely? Right. Yeah. What if the bad, dark, yesterday's Enterprise timeline just continued as it was, but now minus the Enterprise D because they sacrificed themselves to save their little buddies? Yeah, presumably that one's getting even worse. This is the idea of parallels. Right. Right. So, I wonder why they're so sure. Because everyone says it like they're sure in this episode, and they said it like they're sure in yesterday's Enterprise. And I just wondered if it's because the writers didn't give it any thought, or like, what's the deal? Is this modern Starfleet theory? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's it, right? Like... This show was, A, not only written in a writer's room and not by someone who had a firm guiding hand, but also accepted spec scripts from outside all the time, brought people in for, brought all kinds of randos in to write about Mark Twain or whatever. (laughs) And so there is just no, there's no consistency because they assumed nobody would care and that nobody would probably ever be able to binge watch. Sure. Yes, they definitely didn't. Right? There was, that. even at the time of Voyager, there was no binge watching. The big party that they're having in engineering doubles as a party for the 100th episode because the 100th episode is the syndication target. That's right. And that's what was important. There was there was no Netflix yet. There were no, no there DVDs have... of Voyager until 2004. I was going to say, there must have been DVDs, but yes, not of Voyager. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I so yes, I mean it's obviously it's not treated consistently because it's just like nine hundred different dudes wrote it, but it would, it would be nice if it was. Yeah, <laughs> and it'd be nice if it would explain well, why the way, they think extreme, that. Extremely shitty too that at the end Harry Kim's like, well, how can if he changed the past, how could he have sent a message from the future? And <laughs> Jamie was like, don't worry. about Jamie it. gives her usual big shrug. Mm. Yeah. She she didn't say to him, maybe God did it. <laughs> but that's but what like, she meant. <laughs> that's what she meant. Yeah. Anyway, but even if they don't have a consistent, it would be nice if they explained why they all think that. Why they're all like, this timeline will, will cease to exist. Um, I guess the big news here is 10 years off the journey. Also why they need to steal a fucking Borg shit and do all of that shit when they know 800 ways to go back in time. I mean... They could have been waiting at that planet for Voyager to come out of there and just grabbed it up with a tractor beam. <laughs> in Star Trek 4, for sure, again, when I watched it, I was just like, God damn, this fucking movie. 
It's a really good movie. It makes me laugh. But what it does with time travel makes the rest of Star Trek seem very crazy. Because, like, it's just Spock just, just, like, does a quick calculation and, like, boom, they back in time, man. Yeah. And, like, to get back, he just does a different calculation and then they're back. And it's like yeah, exact. it's just like the mass of the, the mass of the ship is different. So yeah, and he has to guess, and he guesses so exactly that they come out right in the middle of the probe crisis. Um, yeah. and then you just like later on. And by the way, wouldn't you have shot for like a year before? Just get them whales in the water, yeah, and let them do their thing, and then just go hide out for a year. The probe has take presumably taken some time going through space trying to reach Earth and just fucking evaporating everything along its path. Uh, and it has probably claimed lives. Oh, 100%. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe the Saratoga just goes dead or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe those people aren't killed by the probe, but like, hey, maybe you don't have to shoot for the exact minute. I had a theory corner for Star Trek Four, but we're not doing the notes for it or anything. But I just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the lady captain of the Saratoga uh, loses all of her power in the middle of her communication with Starfleet, right? The uh, captain of the Yorktown is the Indian guy, and I'm always excited when I see him because, again, Star Trek Four it turns out, is like the most inclusive of all the movies. It's got a black <laughs> right. lady captain. It's got an Indian captain. It's got all kinds of aliens, uh, Star Wars style, just hanging out all over the movie. Um, This dude, <laughs> this Yorktown captain, gets his shit zapped after the other lady and i think they were okay with her getting her shit zapped because she was first but they looked at that guy and they went what was your excuse you just went, oh i'm sure you just went right up to the fucking pro <laughs> and his ship turns into the enterprise a oh this is true that is what happens to the yorktown his ship becomes cursed oh, that ship. dude got court-martialed huh <laughs> he got fucking punished for being the second guy to get probe disabled this fucking one dude's in there shouting about how they demand the extradition of Kirk. They demand justice. Meanwhile, he actually got court-martialed. Yep. Kirk gets that weird token demotion to captain yeah, he, so he can keep flying his he ship. He gets the winking punishment. And you'll be demoted yeah. to the role that you're best suited for, Starship Captain. And everyone cheers. And yeah, that Indian captain got straight up fucked. He's on a barge somewhere. He's done. <laughs> they fucked that guy's shit up. They changed his whole ship. It became the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah, I got fucked. Anyway, say none of us. They gave it to Kirk, man. They gave his ship to Kirk. <laughs> Just gave it away. Um. Anyway, the big news in this episode is 10 years off the journey, so they better not see any familiar aliens for a while. Please. <laughs> Please. I don't want to see any of these Malons or fucking... <laughs> I don't know who else they've been hanging out with in season five so far, but I just meet some new aliens because that's a long distance. That's a that's a very well, big distance they traveled. Uh, this week, Matt's in my notes. Oh, sorry about that. Um, anyway, just a two for me. Yeah, it's a two for me also. Um, shit, you probably already said Ben's yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, Borg temporal transponder shit. That's probably real, even though we see it in the future. Uh, Voyagers 10 years further on their journey, so probably they'll stop meeting Malons and Borgs and Undines and shit, right? <laughs> I hope so. I really right. fucking hope so. It's gonna uh, be plus really I guess embarrassing for them if next week they just a uh, Malon ship just fucking snores out of nowhere. Yeah, I guess they can't do a slipstream, buddy. Like, hey, you just, they just can't. Just can't be done. They know now. Can't be done. 
uh, it sucked. They're so bad at managing this technology rollout. It's it's deeply embarrassing. They're worse at it than uh, Treyarch when it's time for a new Call of Duty. <laughs> I mean, seriously, they held the big party. That's tough. The party is real That's tough. That's tough to have the big party. They never did a party about any of this shit no. before. They didn't do a party when they were going to go to Warp 10. No, no party for Warp 10. No party when they were going to go through that wormhole, but they had to stop and stop the Ferengis from doing business. Hey, you remember they were going to go home in that episode? Uh-huh. Those two Ferengis stopped them. That's, you know, of yeah. all the things that she feels guilty about, she never brings that up. That's what she should be guilty about. That she didn't just come like, back with another ship later for those Ferengi. Well, like, for real, how long were those Ferengi going to be in charge there? They, they were bumbling fools. It was only a matter of time before they fucked it. <sighs> it's a two for me, bud. Yeah. Two for me. Characterization. Um, on this, uh, Ben is a two. He says he's betting that he just saw the best part of the episode. Drunken Seven giving Schmaltz an I love you, man. He, they, it seems like they're sparking the Chakotay Janeway romance again. Sort of. And then what, uh, they're driven into criminality by their guilt. Um, so Harry Kim is not good with guilt and he has become a really shitty character who talks about that's what the Federation counselors called it. Survivor's guilt and wears leather jackets and (laughs) says, you don't know how many times I wished I was buried under 10 meters of ice. (laughs) Um, Chakotay's a real who knows in this universe as in all universes he's a total cipher Yeah. Uh, from the real people I think we only really learned that Janeway is always willing to gamble on her gut instinct yes uh, and also that her grandma made biryani for some reason <laughs> and maybe that she wants to date Chakotay I mean how else do you explain that dinner for sure absolutely So I think what she's saying there is pretty soon we're gonna be home and I'm guessing I'm not going to be your superior officer anymore. Just uh, like a wild shot in the dark. And um, I think that means we're going to be able to like go to pound town. Yeah. You're going to build me another big tub, right? Yeah. <laughs> you fucking, you saved those tools, right? Because we're definitely going to find a nice place, probably in the jungle so that you feel at home with your native peoples. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um. There's just nothing there's nothing in that, so it's a two for me characterization wise. Yeah, let's see. Uh Chaco, Bolana, and all the Maquis, I guess, have had a few years to work through their feelings and are now f- just a hundred percent all in on the voyage home here. They are uh there's no longer any consideration of those factors that they had to think about the first eighteen times they were about to go home. And that makes sense. I think that's yeah. fine. Um, Seven got drunk. I didn't love it. Suddenly she had personality, and I don't think booze just gives you one out of nowhere. <laughs> it doesn't really make a lot of sense, I guess. No. I did like her delivery of certain lines. Yes, the actress is still trying very hard. TP, of all people, figures out that this is a fucking disaster waiting to happen. Yet another terrible, reckless choice by Janeway, the worst main series captain. That's right, worse than Archer. Yeah, hey, what? Why was it Tom Paris in the back shouting, put fins on it? <laughs> it's gonna look cool. It's gonna look fucking awesome. It's gonna look fucking amazing. We're gonna come back to Alpha Quadrant. We're gonna look so fucking good. They're gonna say, where'd you get those fins? Be like, fucking built them. What about it? <laughs> uh, am I wrong that Janeway, she's the worst, right? She's worse than Archer. She's the worst of the main series captains. 
Yeah, I mean, her, she's got a couple of years to turn it around, but yeah. Her impatience in this episode fits in exactly with everything she's done in the show so far. She's like, a, she's an awful strategic thinker. I guess she's racked. She's so racked by her own guilt about being marooned out here that she just can't make the easy call and try to like find another way home. Chaco, as usual, gives her the very good advice. And he says, <laughs> hey, seems like this one's going to blow up the ship. So like, you know, we've gone this far. We'll, we'll keep going. We'll have another idea in fucking three episodes about how to get home that won't work. And it'll be fine. Like, we'll just keep going. And she's like, no, not that. Not too. We've gone too far. It's, it's time to go home. And it's like, you know, but all the simulations say we're going to blow up. So, like, maybe we should just not do this. Uh, like you said, her grandmother used to make biryani back on Earth. I don't blame her because it's tasty. Uh, yeah, biryani is great. Everyone everyone should make it, but it is, it's odd. doesn't seem motivated. I'm from Indiana, biryani capital of North America. Um, anyway, um, Janeway seems pretty heartened by the 10 year savings though on their journey. Not, she doesn't seem that worried that they're going to have to take apart that, uh, slipstream drive. No. Uh, new confident Harry steps in it in this one. I wonder if we'll have to track it to see if he's less confident next week. Oh, if he gets Rikert, if this is his haven. If he's constantly thinking about mullet Harry all the time now. Like, you confident Harry turns into mullet Harry. And he says it out loud, and people go, what did he just say? If he's just, like, walking around the corridors every once in a while going, wasn't even a good leather jacket. (laughs) Just straight up, just straight up TP telling someone at the fucking mess hall. Then he said, I swear to God, he said, confident Harry leads to mullet Harry. I don't know what it means, but he said it out loud. Um, and then I didn't do a lot of characterization on the future thems. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Um, I gave it a four. All right. Uh, well, do you got some quick hitters then? Yeah. The quickest? We saw, again, a a rare situation of a frozen TP in the wild when Kim (laughs) first gets to that bridge. And the Janeway, and of course, what they really want is a frozen seven, because they gotta scoop up her brains or whatever. Uh, I had worst actor candidate Harry Kim mimicking his old therapist. I think that was an accent he was trying to do, but I couldn't tell. It was unclear what the accent was. Is that an alien or a race on Earth? I don't know. Is it just supposed to be like stilted? I don't. I couldn't tell what was happening. Um, Janeway like slow walks up to this future log entry that she gives to Harry in such a wild way. Oh, it is crazy that. She doesn't lead with, hey, there's a, I got a message from you to you. <laughs> she like has the Instead. whole conversation first and yeah. then goes, and you know how I know you told me and then hands it over and walks out. And it's like, well, why'd you do that? I'd be like, hey, look, uh, here's the deal. You sent that shit from the future. I know it because you told me so. Check out this log entry from the future. Let's talk after that. By the way, I watched it. And if you're mad about that, you've, uh. You're out of your fucking mind. Of course, I was going to watch that. <laughs> Not only did the I whole watch ship it, almost died. We had an astrometrics party and we watched it there. That's the best screen in the in the fucking ship. Uh, that's it. What about you? Uh, well, I never have that many on Voyager. Uh, when Chuckles asked Tessa to beam up seven, I immediately said, "No such person." <laughs> There's no Tessa. Yeah, like I don't. 
What is it? Uh, do you think on the poster that declares these guys the Federation's most wanted, it says, like, I know, but they're really, they're doing big crimes. <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> While we totally understand how bogus it is what they went through, still, you know. Why is this lab in the Delta Flyer? I don't know. They said they stole the Delta Flyer. I don't know why. Was that important? Yeah, it's a very good question. No clue why. Why aren't they just in some random shuttle? They couldn't buy a If shuttle? they were stealing from a Starfleet shipyard, why didn't they take an Excelsior or something? <laughs> why didn't they take the Challenger? Why did they steal it from Geordi? What's going on? They should have stole the Challenger from Geordi. Uh, by the way, it really bums me out that Geordi is one of those uh, make calls from someplace other than the bridge captains. You know how whenever Picard's on the horn with a Ben Maxwell or the guy from the hood, they're like not on the bridge of a starship. They're always making a call from the ready room or a conference room. Yeah. Well, here's Jordy. Even though they're about to start shooting, <laughs> he's calling from some other room. He's, he'll walk out to the bridge to give the orders eventually. How, how hard can it be to build a little tiny bit of bridge set so that they can make it look like the captain is on the bridge of the guy? Yeah, had they ship? already just torn up the TNG bridge or whatever, like I would have just put him in that. Yeah, I, like I didn't look up when this episode was recorded, but Jordy's already wearing the uh, later okay. Enterprise uniform, like the Nemesis Insurrection uniform, the, gr- the gray, the gray boys. Yeah, yeah, but with the zip up. High collar, red undershirt. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, good for him for making Captain of a Galaxy class ship in just five years. Hey, man. It's like there weren't that many galaxies out there. And how many can there be left at this point in the Dominion War? Because if this is season five of Voyager, it's season seven of Deep Space Nine. Wait, so when is he made captain of that ship? They tell us when? I mean, no, but if it's. Well, okay. So he's 15 years in the future, but what my point about that is by now they know that a bunch of galaxy class ships don't make it through the Dominion War. Oh, okay, War. yeah, but on, okay. I don't know how many there were before the Dominion War, but I think what you're going to see in all the bad CGI fighting is that they apparently fucking ramped up production. Cuz these galaxies they that ship? flying all over the place and you go, "Man, I thought those were super rare, but no, nah, turns out there's just like a thousand of them." And by the way, it should be just the star drives, right? But it, you know, it's gonna they're gonna have all the whole. Yep. They built all those saucer sections for no reason. I hope they are um, not full of science equipment. I hope they're just weapons platforms at that point. Yeah, I hope they didn't kit them out before they sent them off to war, huh? <laughs> yeah, just put like maybe extra torpedoes and phasers and shit in there and send them out. Uh, best actor I gave to uh, I don't know maybe drunk seven telling people we are one. <laughs> we are we are as um, one. Yeah, uh, worst actor, Harry Kim from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> um, uh, numbers are in. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> so, uh, in last place with 19 points, Deep Space Nine looking for Parmach in all the wrong places. I mean, deserved it. Uh, we we both had that down, real down in the tubes. I gave it a 9, you gave it a 10. Yeah, didn't like it. Uh, second place this week, Voyager. Total of 23 points, uh, and we were seven apart on this one. You gave it 15, and I gave it eight. Yeah, I thought it was not bad for Voyager, but had some pretty glaring problems. Uh, The winner this week, no real surprise, is uh, TNG Redemption Part 1. You got your Galrons, you got your Kerns. Picard gives a lot of speeches about conflicts of interest. That's the secret. That's I gave it 21, you gave it 19. That's a 40-point episode. The first 40-pointer since the drumhead. 
Uh, yeah. And also the, uh, this is the episode with the biggest standard deviation and the week with the biggest standard deviation in scores Ah. since the week of the drum. There you go. Uh, wait, is that right? Very all the way at the end, uh, the answer. Yeah, the drumhead, uh, the drumhead where it scored 43 and in a mirror darkly part two scored 11. And as we know, the number one week for that was the week of reunion. Yes, there was a 47, 47 and a three and a three. (laughs) That's how it's done. (laughs) So a real mixed bag this week. One good episode and two pretty bad ones. Honestly, if we Uh, get one good one a week, I'll be I'll be all right. Yeah, that's maybe there's only three episodes left. One good one and two bad ones would be pretty good, yeah. but we'll see if we can we we'll see if we can maintain that pace. Yep. Uh, it's his thirty eighth win. Yeah, so it's back up to six ahead of Deep Space Nine. Um, Voyager again notched their third last week, so yeah. they're not mathematically eliminated. But, but let's say that things would have to get extremely crazy. They're not mathematically eliminated, but they are trading away their entire roster. At this point, because the writing's on the wall. Next time we convene to talk Star Trek, it will be week 100. Oh, a big, that's a milestone. Yeah, a (laughs) hundred times we will have sat down (laughs) to do this. Some 300 hours worth. Fucking five years, four and a half years of this bullshit. (sighs) Uh, We will be watching Redemption Part 2. Yeah. A new batch. Find out who that Romulan lady is. I went with a new batch. Where were you going to go with that? The, uh, I don't think I was going to go with it. Okay. After since the goddamn Boogaloo Boys, oh, I kind I of, know. I kind of am ruined on funny subtitles. The new batch is still good. Secret of the Ooze would have been good, yeah. but I always say that. Yeah. What is it? The quest for to search for Curly's gold. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> Yeah, something like that. Um, Deep Space Nine, we'll be watching Nor the Battle to the Strong. Mm-hmm. Enjoy that. Deep Space Nine titles are going to be that way. Oh, yeah. We're, we are firmly in the War is Hell era. I know this little adventure made you think that maybe we weren't, but no, we are in it. And if you thought the name Timeless was uninspiring for a Voyager, how about Infinite Regress? Now, when I saw the title Timeless, I knew exactly which episode it was. I hadn't I hadn't like yes. memorized the title, but it just the image popped right into my head. Infinite regress. I don't know. Fucking idea. I'm gonna look it up right now. Infinite regress. <laughs> Voyager. Uh, it's an alien with a crazy head. Oh man. Oh man. Yo, <laughs> there's gonna be a lot of acting from uh, Jerry Ryan next week. Let's just say that. Well, <laughs> it's not. You won't like it. But I'm gonna be doing the well, I'm gonna be doing the write up on that one, so <laughs> that's right. Um, that's what you should watch if you're playing along um, for our week 100 spectacular. Yeah, and uh, next week's a mailbag. Yeah, and uh, no no projects, so that's pretty nice. It's fucking yeah. nice. Uh, so send us some mail so that we can we don't have to vamp or whatever. Uh, that's at brother date on the Twitter machine. Um, you know, Shannon asked for some K-pop help. I might. Oh yeah, I might do something about that. Um, uh, you can. Yeah, y'all gonna learn Chinese? <laughs> just like uh, just like Jin. This is the moment. If you are not, if you have not yet gotten a handle on K-pop, it. I don't see any way this is gonna go away in the near future. Yeah. So 
Everybody yeah. jump on board. Uh, where was I? Emails. Um, uh, brothers of com. You could go to the website. That's got the episodes on it. It's got it's got the side projects on it. That's brotherdate.com. Uh, all the podcatchers fit to catch pods, and then uh, that's the whole deal. So, um, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. As you believe, we will go to Marcus Twelve and find <laughs> some new friends, friends, a million new friends on Marcus Twelve. <laughs> uh, so as you believe, so afraid to show yourself, Gorgon. <laughs>I said your name is a curse <laughs> did you hear me when I said that that's what I opened with because I figured you'd get sad and leave think about it man you just you, you, get, oh, you, you gotta go <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>